0: I, when I originally called uh, Jim DiEugenio, I asked him, is there anyone that you can think of that has more information on this than anyone else? If there was one person you can pinpoint that is the encyclopedia on what happened in on November 22nd, 1963, who would that be? He said, you are the person, probably the only person that has been through the millions and millions of documents classified and unclassified. I wanted to start this thing off by bluntly asking you, after the years that you've spent researching this, to date, what is your opinion on what happened on November 22nd in 1963? Who was involved? Why was the president assassinated? And why is it still being covered up? That's
1: going to be a subject of my last volume on the JFK series, but I won't give you the same answer I give everybody else when they ask me that. Go Go ahead and solve it and save me some time. Um, I'm actually going to go to Duquesne University this fall in November, and I'm going to actually talk about uh, my current view on what happened on the 11-22-63. So, it's a coup. It's a coup d'etat. And the thing that people get messed up with uh, is there's a tendency to hate the CIA and to think that 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 organization is X, acted alone or did did almost everything. It's not like that. First of all, you have to understand how the uh, hierarchies are put together. And we're talking about political, should be at the apex of a democracy. Uh, and the military is, is right there at the top with them. In a Cold War, which is what was happening in the Kennedy administration, it was right in the middle of the Cold War. Um, who does the fighting? Okay, the fighting is not done by the political military hierarchies because they're not shooting bombs and bullets at each other. The spy services are the ones who do that. So um, a coup d'etat within a superpower is not done by the spy service. The spy services can help do coups in other countries, but in the the United States and in Great Britain and in France and in the Soviet Union, uh, a coup within a country is the military uh, overturning the political hierarchy. Okay. That is what happened in 1963. Now, the CIA has a role to play, but it is not institutional. We have to understand that uh, by that time, we had a new uh, director of central intelligence who really had no idea about a lot of things that were happening, things that were not, that were withheld from him, McCone, so what you're talking about is a, is a series of people that were in on uh, the Kennedy problem way back when Kennedy was first became the president of the United States. And so I'll do my best to try and take us through how that started and how that finished.
0: When did you first become interested in the assassination of John F. Kennedy? How long ago was this? When did you start researching all this?
1: When I was uh, at I was still in school. I was uh, doing my PhD and uh, I had um, been uh, re- promoted from the uh, NCO Corps in, as, as, a, as an officer. And I ended up going up pretty fast and ended up working at the top of the NSA as the military assistant to the director, General William Odom. And uh, I had decided that we, I wanted to do my dissertation on uh, Chinese affairs, Mao Zedong things that i knew a lot about one day when we were flying down to the carolinas i I had i always carried his his you know his pictures and all of his slides and everything um he put his newspaper down his new york times and he said john what are you what's your dissertation going to be and i told him what it was going to be about uh china and he said oh come on you can do better than that show some metal you know do uh overturn an orthodoxy like we're like, which is, a, is actually what is expected of a dissertation, but nine times out of 10, that doesn't happen. Anyway, so um, I was taken aback by that, and, and I said to uh, General Odom, what if I told you that President Kennedy was gonna pull out of Vietnam at the time he was murdered? And he thought for a while, and he said, you know what, John? If you could actually make a good case for that, that would be a terrific dissertation topic. Then he put his paper back and went, went back to, you know, to reading his New York Times. So we got home, back to Fort Meade that night, and I called my mentor, uh, Dr. Richard Thornton at George Washington, and uh, I told him I was gonna change my, my topic. And he said, to what? I said, JFK in Vietnam. And he said, I thought you would never ask. That's when that started. It took me years, many years to, uh, I took the maximum amount of time allowed for, for study, which is five years, and then eventually I, I submitted my thesis. It was approved by a board at George Washington. And eventually I defended it with honors. But at the same time, um, I got involved with Oliver Stone, uh, Stone's movie. He found out that uh, what my thesis was and it was something he- What year was this? Uh, well, we're, we're talking about 1980, 1991. It was 92 when the film came out, but he got a hold of me a couple of years before that. Due to a, a meeting between uh, somebody, I don't want to go into all the details, but his ch- chief of research found out in a bar in Dallas, Texas, that I what I was doing my dissertation on, and, and said, "Oh my gosh, you know, Oliver Stone, that's what he wants to put in his movie." So I got a call from Oliver Stone, and we, and we got we got hooked up doing that. But the point is here to to, to uh, not waste time. That uh, what happens is my dissertation comes out at the time of the of the movie, and. Uh, very quickly, uh, what was what had happened uh, within weeks before that actually happened? My book was suppressed or uh, attempted to be suppressed. There were actually two two ver- uh, not two versions. There were two episodes of this depress- uh, oppression suppression. Um, first of all, I have to say that uh, by by law in the statutes that that govern uh, pre-publication review. Uh, as an army officer, my my stuff has to be reviewed by the army, not by NSA or anybody else. And I did. I sent it in, and it passed with flying colors, no problems. I gave a copy to the CIA, uh, and you know, to the NSA. Excuse me. I gave a copy to NSA, and and they said, okay, fine, we'll we'll keep it. But they they acknowledged that that it was it was okay because the army had had okayed it. And that was the way it was from about 1989 to the time the movie came out. And then all of a sudden, as as the days approached for the the movie to come out, I was told that my, um, I, uh, I got a call from the general counsel's office at the NSA and they said, your your book, you, you can't publish your book. It's classified. And so I said, well, wh- what's classified about it? I'd be happy to, to look at that for you. And, and the answer was, I don't know. And I said, when will you know? And the answer was, we don't know that either. So anyway, um, there I was stuck uh, with, with less than a year to go uh, to get my pension and a lifetime of uh, you know medical care for my family, facing possibly uh, being losing my clearances, and being thrown out of the corps, and and losing everything. And so it was a tough time with my parents and my wife. But eventually, I decided to stand my ground. Cause I thought that, you know, look, there's a lot of good people in the military. Not everybody's bad. And so I felt like this was part of my duty to stand up and tell the truth. And so I I stood my ground. Anyway, it all turned out okay in this instance because there was a big press corps briefing that was gonna take place the day after the, the movie came out. And I was gonna be there interviewed by the press from all over the world. And NSA called me out of bed that uh, morning, early that morning, about uh, 5 a.m. my time, 7 a.m. their time, back in Washington. And is, is this is this doc, is this Major Newman? And I said, Yeah. Oh, who's this? And they said, This is the National Security Agency. Uh, your book is good to go. Have a great day. Click. And so I did. But that was it. Wasn't over. Early on in the next year, '93, towards the end, uh, my book disappeared, and I couldn't get. I would, my calls were uh, not answered at Warner Books. Um, in the end, it turned out that they had illegally actually uh, decided to suppress my book instead of doing it legally, which would be to option my book and take it off the market for you know, a year or two or whatever and pay me something, and then I would, I would get it back. But anyway, they had a, a, another book they were helping bring out, actually two or three, but there were, the one in particular was going to be Arguing the opposite of my thesis to try and and take away all the, the effect that this was going to have, that the effect of my book and 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 the film had, mm-hmm. and um, and so uh, it, I, I <laughs> the Galbraith family got involved because Jamie Galbraith, one of his one of John Kenneth Galbraith's three sons, it was at University of Texas as a he was um, uh, um, in political science uh, and he. His students um, were. T- he actually wanted to use my book, and uh, by that time they couldn't find it. And they told him, and uh, he said, "What's going on?" They said, "It's been it's been suppressed." So he called me up and asked me if I didn't mind the family looking into it. They did. Uh, they got a hold of Hale Boggs uh, Jr. He was the actual- he-, he was the Time Warner Inc. CEO at the time. He was also in Congress. Uh, people will know that name. Um, he looked into it uh, and he called back and said, it's a scandal. And uh, he called the head of Warner books and said, you need to fix this, you know? And so I did, they, he, they finally called me. It was the, you know, the president of Warner. he said, what do you want to, are you going to sue? How do you want to handle this? And after some thinking, I said, give me my rights back. And that's the end of it. I didn't want to spend a lot of time in litigation. So that's how that's how it, I got it back. But by that time, it had been remaindered. So I I lost out on a lot of money. But there were there were it, the book sold, and 25 years later, I wrote the this uh, the sequel to it in 2017, which you have here on the table. That's how things got started. Okay. Now I didn't go into the assassination, but what I did say and what I what I was very obvious was that after Kennedy died, we went into Vietnam and he didn't wanna do that. He fought hard about it. Sometimes he, he lied about it a little bit. He didn't want people to know he was pulling out because he wanted to say let them know that after he was reelected, but things came along uh, that changed all that. And we can talk about that uh, when we if you wanna go back to the story from the time uh, Kennedy was elected till he was, was, was assassinated. But uh, my dissertation uh, convinced me, and eventually it was no longer a hypothesis. We got tapes, White House tapes and things like that, that that showed that it wasn't a thesis, it was true. Kennedy was pulling out of Vietnam. And there was nothing you could do to stop that. And eventually, of course, nowadays, new books that come out um, agree that Kennedy was pulling out of Vietnam. Mm. So, uh, but that's one of the reasons that they didn't like him. A lot of the power people in, in, in powerful places didn't like him.
0: For that. Right, right. So that's interesting. So when you, when Oliver Stone called you up and wanted you to work on the movie, what in what capacity did you help him with that first movie? Did you you advised on some of the facts that were involved, or? Well, he flew me out uh, to California, and I and I
1: said I have some um, restrictions. He said, "Well, wh- what are they?" Were said, you still NSA? Yeah, I was still an army officer. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I told him that. Um, number one, uh, you will not use my army rank or anything like that to hype the movie. Mm-hmm. And he thought about that, and he, he said, okay, I, all right, I get that. And then I said, the other thing is I will not talk to you about anything except the Vietnam part. This was a, the, the movie JFK wasn't just about Vietnam, but that was an important part of it. And so I said, I will and I will not talk about anything else. He said, well, why not? I said, because... I've, I work for 10,000-pound gorillas, and I know what happens when you start talking about stuff that you are not an expert in, and I'm never going to say anything to you that I don't know is true. And after he thought about that, he said, okay, and we signed. And I was one of the senior... In fact, I was a very senior advisor and one of the only ones that got to participate in that press junket, as I, I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago. So that's what I did. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and he called me back again for the movie he did on Nixon and other things too. So I, I didn't just work on that film, but uh, he liked my work. And so I, I worked with Oliver periodically on mm. other projects.
0: So your newest book is Uncovering Popov's Mole. Can you explain to me um, the evolution of how you first dove into this with JMK in Vietnam and how you got to where you are now with Popov's Mole? I, I decided after doing a, a book on uh, religion uh, to
1: get away from this whole Kennedy thing uh, back uh, in in about 2003 or so, and I spent six years working on a book called uh, "Quest for the Kingdom: The Secret Teachings of Jesus in the Light of Yogic Mysticism." And then I came back uh, to the to the Kennedy case uh, based upon my wife and a and a somebody who came a a a producer from Pennsylvania, and uh, she stayed with us for a couple of days and. My wife had not liked the fact that I spent so much time working on things. And, and all of a sudden they wanted me to, to to come back to the case. And I said, okay, look, here's here's the deal. I'm not gonna come back and write a book. I'm either coming back or I'm not coming back. And coming back means doing the whole thing, whatever it takes, however long it takes. You know, are you okay with that? Yes, we are. So I did. So the first thing was this one here where Angel's Tread Lightly. The hold, first, it
0: up and hold it up next to you to sure. the mic. Okay, see this is this book here.
1: Goes all the way back into the into the 40s and stuff and in and, and and has uh, appendices to tell people how to um my readers how to, how to deal with pseudonyms and kryptonyms, and a lot of my I, I i broke in this book um and uh later on i wrote this one here countdown to darkness this really uh was my my uh coming to grips with uh general lemitzer the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff and the cuban missile crisis many many of chapters in there on, on all of that. And, and it's role. Eventually I, I came to, into the storm. This, uh, I spent, uh, three parag- three, excuse me, three, three whole chapters, uh, dealing with a guy by the name of Sam Halpern, who was a, it was a CIA guy who was lying about, uh, Robert Kennedy being behind all these things. And, um, and I became a very close friend with his son, Bobby Jr. And uh, Bobby Jr. Uh, endorsed this thing with a very, very nice, uh, um, you know, blurb as we call them. But uh, it, this was a book that uh, took me all the way into 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis and the Berlin Crisis and things like that. Um, but what happened was, as I came towards the end of the book I noticed things that weren't, that, that I didn't understand. And th- the next thing that was on coming up was my book I called Armageddon. And I've been working on it for a long time. I've done many uh, big shows on radio programs and you know, on uh, Zooms. Uh, and at, J- at James Madison University where, where I work, I've done presentations there. But um, what happened was I never had a, a, a conclusion to the into the storm as i do in all my other books i don't i didn't do it cuz i knew i didn't have a conclusion so i just pulled down the curtain and i and i said intermission <laughs> this is an intermission so this book into the storm end, ended as an intermission and we were working hard i have i have my own inner sanctum of four or five people that are very good and very uh, solid and and uh, just want to be part of of this whole program and so we ended up looking at things and trying to figure out the, the, these, I, I don't want to go into details, but there were three or four things that didn't make sense. And so when we looked at those in particular, it, it ended up that that it looked like we all made, and I'd made a huge mistake, going all the way back to Countdown to Darkness and even before, about something called the mole hunt. Okay, when Oswald defected way back in 1959, uh, there was a mole hunt afterwards. And we all thought, I did and everybody did, and I wrote, wrote about it, that the, the mole hunt was designed by the counterintelligence chief of the CIA named James Angleton. That was uh, the guy in charge, I thought. I had done interviews with people in the security office that told me things that I didn't understand. And, uh, and they were screaming at me at this time when we were deciding what to do with Armageddon. And so it turned out that it looked like, uh, we were about to uncover Popov's mole. Now Popov's mole, we'll talk about Popov himself. He was a, he was a, uh, Soviet intelligence, a guy, which is their GRU, Soviet military intelligence had defected and told, uh, told, told the CIA.
0: Defected to the CIA.
1: Yes. What he had been, but, 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 um, eventually, uh, towards the end, not the beginning, he defected in 52, early 52. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until, um, excuse me. Yeah, that's right. So it, it wasn't until much later, like in 1958, April, that he told George Keesfalter, his case officer, that there was a high echelon mole, uh, in the CIA that had access to uh, the technical details of the U-2 program, the secret U.S. spy plane that flies up at fifty-two thousand feet, and so um, that mole had never been discovered. Popoff's mole had never been discovered seventy years out, and uh, and so we just we started looking at it, and my my inner my, all my fr- guys that work with me. And gals, I got them, Heather Fear, she was a, a, a great asset too. Alan Dale, Jay Harvey, there was a number of people that, that were, they, they, were, they were actually telling me, you need to stop boring a big head for a minute, and you need to take a time out, and you need a separate book for this. I resisted for a while, but then I, I realized they were right. And so that's how Pop Off's Mole came about. I identified who the mole was after 70 years we had never been caught, never been found.
0: How certain are you that you're correct about who the mole was?
1: Okay, uh, at the end of the book, in Papal's Mole, is a chapter called, um, hold it up here, this is, this is the book. Um, at the end of the book, there's a, there's a whole chapter called Providence, um, Authenticity, and um, in the, in multiple, in multiple Attestation. And I took every piece of an evidentiary hierarchy that I used for a hypothesis that the mole was Bruce Sully and vetted it in terms of that methodology. And so every piece of that evidentiary hierarchy has not one, not two, but usually three, four or five independent sources. And so at the end of the day, um, and and the thing that was most powerful that, that came late, I did not know until four or five months to go. I'd already gone to uh, Ancestry and and done uh, a workup on Sully, but I hadn't really noticed until that point in time that his travel records were going to have to be really important because a high echelon mole, a high echelon mole has to travel. They can't talk face-to-face uh, in in the open. Mm-hmm. They have to take talk face-to-face in a secret place, and if they do anything else, like try and send a, a message, or uh, see encryption is broken both ways, the CIA and the, and the FBI could read each other's stuff periodically here or there, and the same thing with secret writing can be intercepted. The only way that, a, that somebody who's at the top of a spy service who's you know, gone to the other side is they gotta travel, and either he's gotta travel over there to, to Moscow or Moscow's gotta send people to him. And I found the travel records, and they were astounding because the a high echelon mole in the CIA is not going to is not even going to be activated unless the top the top person in the KGB decides to do it, because you might lose your eyes and ears at the top of the uh, of the enemy service, and so it was a it was a big decision to use him, and he was used in a very important at a very important time. It was a, a crisis, a war. Had, was, had brewed, had started in the Middle East with uh, both French and British troops in the Suez Canal. And that was when um, Eisenhower decided to send the U-2s over, uh, over the Soviet Union, not mm-hmm. just Eastern Europe. Anyway, that's how those re- travel, because re- we're going to talk about that as another subject, but, but to finish your question, that, that was the, the icing on the cake when I, when I put his boots on the ground in the middle of these operations and he personally had to travel over to the Soviet Union, not to the Soviet Union, excuse me, but close to it in Eastern Europe where Popov had been stationed in Berlin uh, and um, in Vienna to dig up dirt on him because uh, Khrushchev wanted the technical details of the U2, we'll get to that. Anyway, I'll stop there. Those were, uh, the, I had five or six or seven very powerful pieces of evidence from different, from independent sources that gave me this answer. And so there's no doubt in, there was no doubt in my mind. I called it a hypothesis, but um, so I, I like to leave it to other people. You, you, know, you can read the book and you can, you can decide, mm-hmm. but, but you're going to have to look at the evidence and some people don't want to read the book because they know that it's going to be convincing and, and they missed it. And a lot of people who love reading my books, and for years, sometimes as you go along, they don't like me so much because I admitted we were—I was wrong about Angleton, and they don't want to be wrong about Angleton. Uh, so the problem is that, that uh, good, good uh, investigative work, whether it's cr- uh, crime or or uh, you know astrophysics or <laughs> chemistry goes through all these mistakes that have to be made till you come till you finally get a solution and you just have to it's a part of what you do is to say this was wrong and you're and and it's not a cause for being concerned you can break out of some you know scotch and say it's time to celebrate we're that much closer to where we want to be well a lot of people that are on this case don't like it uh you know they they've got their Colonel Mustard with a wrench in the library thing, and that's it. They're done, mm-hmm. and they don't want to hear. So, progressively over the years, uh, I've lost people that that <laughs> like what I was doing, but it's you know it's what I do, and so. But I'm I'm absolutely certain uh, that uh, Off's mole was in fact uh, solely. But in the in the whole all the trouble we went to to write that book, we knew. That there was a lot more. There were so many leads. We were in a place nobody's ever been before. By the way, uh, it changes everything. That that the top of the CIA and the top, actually the CIA, uh, MI six, the British uh, version of their their uh, of their CIA and and also, uh, power, the French intelligence services was just a riddle to. to Crazy. spies. But, yeah, that <clears> all <throat> the that all the Western spy services were owned by Moscow Center. It changes everything. You've got to go back and and look at all the stuff I was writing before, and and I'm looking. I'm I'm still looking at things, and but what we're finding is there were more moles, and the fact that you you have Sully, by the you know the short and curly, that means we can we can now find out somebody else like the guy Sully's boss. We can get to him later. Yeah. Um so anyway that was a big deal this book it was a big deal and what, we're going to let me just say one thing i didn't do the digital uh version yet usually i uh, do a di- digital version but i waited on purpose because i'm going to do a
0: revision of the book with the digital version later in the year didn't you tell me that something happened with amazon publishing to kindle they gave you some problems yes
1: well, it was another. This is the second time in my life that some that they tried to suppress my book. Now, the first one was successful for two years. This one here, within 24 hours of the publication of this book, I had a crashed computer. The Dell people were were, were on it, and it and it. I had to uh, go back to factory records instantly. Lost a lot of data and things, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't fatal. Um, and at the same time that happened, there was uh, on social media, all my stuff, all the things I was posting and everybody else was posting about it was taken down. And we were told and no one's out, but they, they told me they didn't like uh, they thought they accused me Misinformation of
0: information or something.
1: No, they, they said you uh, that you're you're using surreptitious means to get all these likes, all these people liking you. I usually had, you know, a couple of hundred likes about the stuff I was writing. And, they, mm-hmm. and it was stupid to say something like that. But anyway, I didn't pay any attention to that. The third thing was in the same 24-hour period that, uh, K, uh, excuse me, uh, Kindle Amazon got a hold of me and said, your book, we're not publishing your book. And they said what the reason was. It was because the travel records of Bruce Sully that were appendix one were illegible. And it's not true. Many of them, most of them, are very legible, and you can look at them. You can look at them. Now, yeah. I took them out of the book and put something in there that said, "This is what happened." And and uh, and in fact, uh, we started putting them all over the internet. You know, at uh, at the Mary Farrell Foundation and other things, and we even threatened to start making up posters or or, or bookmarks and stuff with with pictures of soldiers. They, so, it didn't take long. <clears throat>
0: Within a week. book was published did you include those flight law or all the flight logs and travel details in the book i did it first but i removed them from the appendix but then i put something
1: in there to explain what why it's gone because Uh. because uh, kindle amazon says they're illegible and then we start it was it was much more um how can i say embarrassing for them for me to take it out because they said so Mm -hmm. so i didn't scream and yell i just said okay uh, they took this stuff out because it's illegible. And I hear some pictures that you can look at and you can decide. And it was very embarrassing.
0: Who within these agencies in the U.S. currently, how many people and who are they, the ones that are involved in suppressing this thing that happened 70 years ago?
1: Certainly nowhere near as educated in, in the ways of espionage, counterespionage, mm-hmm. as the old CIA uh, folks were. Okay, they're dead and gone. Most of them, there's one or two still alive, right? Uh, they ended up liking me pretty much over the years because they wanted to know what happened, too. Most of them didn't know everything because inside the CIA and the KGB, you have need to know, not everybody knows what's going on.
0: Very complicated. and I was figuring
1: stuff out and giving presentations. And so, uh, I had an incident where they they pickpocketed me once at one of the things down in Dallas, and my, my phone was gone for a while. We were able to trace where it was using uh. A service back in in Washington or close to Washington where I was, and actually in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and we, we could tell that the, my phone was like up by, you know, five or six floors upstairs. And anyway, and they they secreted it back into my into my carry bag when there was a lot of people rushing out of a of a, of a door, and um, and then I went in, into another. But so they they put it back in. They could they they couldn't break it. They couldn't get into it. It was an Apple phone. Um, so. At the end of that presentation, a guy walks up to me in a nice jacket, no tie. He's waiting in line. He's first there. And people are still coming up in line to ask me questions. And he says, John, you're okay. You're you're fine. You're going to be fine.
0: We just want to know what you know. Sorry to interrupt, but this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Verso. We all know how important it is to get the right amount of nutrition, exercise, and sleep as we age. It's something I'm really passionate about and have discussed at length with doctors and nutritional scientists on this podcast. That is why I use Verso. Verso is a company dedicated into translating scientific breakthroughs into products that hold the potential to increase longevity. I take cell being every day to help combat aging by increasing my NAD levels with powerful ingredients such as NMN, transresveratrol, and TMG. NAD plus is arguably one of the most powerful molecules in the body, but declines with age. Keeping NAD plus levels high helps guide longevity genes called sirtuins. Sirtuins are called longevity genes because by activating them they support overall health and slow down aging related effects by regulating important processes inside of cells. High NAD levels can improve your metabolism, repair damaged DNA, and ramp up energy production in your brain, immune system, and muscles. Now, you can't take NAD as a supplement because it's too big for the cells to absorb. But NMN directly converts to NAD while resveratrol activates your sirtuins, which increases their attraction for NAD. These two molecules act synergistically and increase your NAD Plus more than just NMN on its own. Verso also publishes third-party testing from each batch produced to absolutely guarantee you're getting what you pay for. Head on over to ver.so and use the coupon code DANNY, it's spelled D-A-N-N-Y, to save 15% off your entire order, or just go to ver.so forward slash Danny. Back to the show.
1: And I didn't know what that meant first, you know, mm. but after I, we thought about the whole craziness of... My phone disappearing and then re- reappearing at the end of the at the end of that conference. Mm-hmm. That's all it was was a message that they, they wanted to see. They wanted to know it was it was a very important one. It was on a guy by the name of Essiana, that uh, one of the, these misdirections I was knocking down. But anyway, so uh, your question was,
0: um, I was basically asking like who in the CIA yes. or any of these agencies. So currently- this this
1: this new suppression of the book, are, are people that are now coming out of the CIA in their 60s. yeah, And they're all over social media. And in fact, on the, it's even on the internet. One of them was a woman who actually outed all the rest of them saying, this is terrible. We shouldn't be doing this, but they're, in, they're, they're all over the place in social media and they have influence.
0: Well, this, they also have the investment from the Q Intel investment company that mm-hmm. invests in a lot of these big companies, yeah. which is, it's mind boggling that they, ha- they can have that much control over some of these some of these companies well, when they're they able, able to invest in all these big tech exactly exactly there's
1: something companies. even even scarier
0: because I started thinking
1: what I ended up doing was going to a, a security program that international uh, finance banks use and and all the international multinational corporations use because they, they they can't their stuff has to be secure. And and you can get a, a a program as just as an individual, and so. But I started thinking about well, what if they've interv- What if they infiltrate? You know, security companies too. You know, right. there's just no there's no end to this. So anyway, you, know, you have to like know that you can, they can watch, and so uh, I I always assume that that's happening, and so um, my my relationship with the people that that work with me. We're careful how we handle everything, mm. and um, and so because it's two ways. When you when you when you you're being surveilled and you're smart enough, counter surveillance teaches you a lot of specific things that I know about, and so I'm not afraid to continue what I'm doing. In fact, uh, there's a lot. Look, I'm going to say something because it, it, we're going to get probably to 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 the Kennedy assassination and the military's involvement in um, lots of things that and other things and the same thing with the cia i know lots of good people in the cia i know lots of good people in in who wear the uniform and i'm very careful when i give these big zoom presentations at the end to show pictures of some of the generals who were fantastic and they would never lie mm-hmm. and, they, and because of that like under westmoreland general christian had to be sent home he was the head of intelligence and every time he got he sent anything back to Washington. He said the, the the strength the Viet Cong is getting worse and their and their determination. He sent that back with every single one, and uh, of course, what was going on at that time in that part of Vietnam was the, the 600,000 troops had been cut in half and things like that. So uh, when when I tell us uh, a, a version of what I think has happened here or there and it involves. Uh, bad things, lies, or things especially that are defrauding the American people to get them in, to go into a war. I'm gonna stand up and talk about it, but it doesn't mean that we don't have a lot of
0: good people in government. Right, okay? these are specific bad people. Exactly. You're not saying the institutions no, themselves are corrupt. It's the it's the bad apples that are inside there that make things go go awry. There's a
1: photograph make- of me testifying in, in front of a committee, and uh, it, it, it took the Pentagon by surprise. And uh, for a long time, uh, and then we talked about it. then I, my, my punishment was, please let them know the next time I'm going to be in uniform. Uh, you know, it, but what happened was when I, when I came out, these officers that I know, they said that they were so proud of you, John, you know, for, for what you've done for the Army. Because it's, we did do bad things. The, the, the Army intelligence surveilled all the students, and, and when wait they're not supposed to be doing domestic operations anyway there were a lot of things that that were gave the the us uh, a black eye and and so uh you know they when 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 armed people and that's one of the reasons why, that I stood my ground you know uh with with JFK in Vietnam because we all have to do that sooner or later you got to make up your mind whether or not you're going to just be a weasel and, and and bow to power or whether you're going to stand up to it
0: right let me ask you this, if you're in the shoes of the CIA or the American government, do you think it's a good thing for the United States for some of this information to come out? Like if you were to expose everything that happened to JFK and all the the corruption and everything about this high echelon mole. Do you think that helps or hurts the US that the truth comes out?
1: Well, it can only it can only help because without, you see, our republic is founded on the idea that uh you have to have the the people have to have information in order to decide who should our leaders should be and if you don't know what they're doing or what they're up to the whole concept of our democracy fails right there so you have to we have to deal with it at least uh very soon the problem is you know uh Every four years, it could be a new president, and are we saying that we can't, we can't find out when the next election comes up, like, what they did?
0: Is that what you want? Right, but that's different than something that happened 70 years ago. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, what the implications would be well, if this came out, if the I, truth came out.
1: I think the truth is out. I think that it's it's been there uh, all along, and a, a lot of the uh, what has happened are misdirections, you know what a misdirection is, where you're you're confusing somebody, leading them the wrong way, and so a lot of the uh, investigations were compromised, even though they were much better that the Senate Select Committee and the House Select Committee on Assassinations did real, real investigations, unlike the Warren Commission, which laid down for this uh, to go ahead and do the the public thing because, because they told her a Warren poor warned that 40 million americans gonna die if we didn't do the oswald did it alone thing later on there are serious ones but they get infiltrated before it starts to try and control the narrative Mm. so it's a constant battle uh with 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 this stuff and and it's not just some what we're talking about the same thing happens with with uh with you know um, big corporations and stealing each other's stuff it's not something we're talking about here, you know, with the spy services and in Cold War and that kind of stuff. But there's just as much spying and all this stuff does is done for for you know reasons for money too. So, <clears throat> and in in most cases, uh, both right. both houses of Congress are are compromised because the money goes to both the Republicans and the Democrats. They can't yeah. they can't live without it.
0: Corporations and politics are there's a very blurry line mm-hmm. between them. That's right. So in terms of the Cold War, who who do you think, what spy agency do you think won the Cold War?
1: Well, uh, the KGB won for a long time, uh, but in the end, uh, <laughs> you know, they fell. Right. But it doesn't mean that some of the people that were doing that stuff, mm-hmm. like Putin, who was, his job was deception, uh, are still doing the same sorts of things, but there's no KGB. It's There's a different, It mm-hmm. was the FSB and now it's SVR mm-hmm. and uh, these acronyms we don't need to, to talk about today but but here's the thing I want to say about the battles of the spy services and, re, and again, remember that that happens when there's not a war going on. Okay, once we got involved in Vietnam, things were, were, were heating up as a, that was a real war but it fortunately it didn't get out out of hand to the point of blowing the planet up. Look, uh, Sully defected to the KGB. Popov defected to the CIA. And I, I can tell you right now that there were, I don't going to say hundreds, but many, many uh, people in our side of the street defected to the Russians. And the same thing happened in Russia They because it was even harder to live there. Hmm. So the point is that in this world that we grow up in, and these superpowers, people working in the spy services of those superpowers, many of them didn't like what they were doing, and so they end up. People are being defecting in both right. both directions. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? What does that tell us? Well, <laughs> it tells us that it's not a it's not black and white, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you have the same problem in all these powerful countries which are not democracies and, and our democracy is being compromised as we sit here today. There are people who wanna tear up our constitution right now. Um, so anyway, so it's it's not um, us against them. We find out it's us against us in the end and so we have to be careful not to say that everything we did was, was great and fine and Danny uh, not not to not to mention your name, Dandy. I meant to say, not Dandy. <laughs> yes. But uh, look, I'll give you one example. M- a lot of people still don't know about Operation Gladio. Now, Operation Gladio was put into play um, during at the end of uh, at the end of World War II. There was a um, a fear that uh, Stalin was going to just go march all the way across Europe and take everything all the way to the Atlantic. He wasn't stupid enough to do that. It was, there was no way they were going to be able to hold that kind of territory, but that was, that was the war scare of 1948. And so what they did was they buried caches of weapons and, and communication equipment all over Europe. And uh, so that once, once the, the Warsaw Pact armies had gone by, they would have they these, people would come out of nowhere and, and behind enemy lines they were mostly they were assassins and and uh, provocateurs and, and people that were you know expert in blowing stuff up mm. uh, which is what you would do if you were working behind enemy lines well that never happened and so all that stuff got used in another di- a different way the cia and and uh, mi6 uh, were the m- most at at fault here, but they, um, what they did was to um, use that equipment to sabotage, blow up buildings, uh, assassinate people, and tell the public that it was done by socialists and communists when it wasn't. It was done by the Gladio units that were being run out of two. two we had two particular. Uh, committees in NATO that almost no one knew about. You had to be, uh, the head of NATO was always an American general, by the way, for a long, long time. Um, So anyway, um, for 40 years, this went on. Murders and stuff blowing up. And eventually, uh, it came out. A guy in the name of Frankovich went over there and filmed everybody, including all the CIA people uh, that were involved too. And many of them, senior ones, came went on camera to tell us what happened. Uh, he had uh, three reels of stuff, about six hours worth of stuff that was all filmed. It was in different languages, but there were, there were, um, you know, there were, it was almost illegible writing what they were saying in, in, in English at, at there. And, and my, my good friend Heather Fear transcribed that whole, all of it, it took her weeks to do it. So I have actually a Microsoft Word version if every one of the the interviews of all the people that were involved in all the all those countries and there's several books on Gladio uh, that have been written that are good books. And I use those some of these things. I use them in in uh, at, at, at James Madison where I teach. I teach counterterrorism there. And uh, sometimes I tell them, you know what? What if I told you that it, the term counterterrorism might not even have counter in it? And that's when you're controlled. You're not, you think you've got, you're countering terrorism, but you're not. You're, you're <sighs> just falling for it.
0: In the context of this whole thing, what, what role did Bruce Sully play in, in this whole story? And how, how important was he in regards to what was going on with Lee Harvey Oswald? He was the one who
1: put the plan together. For the Oswald affection and all that, and and the and that the hunt would be looking for the mole somewhere else, not him. So he is the one who knows that there's going to have to be a mole hunt, and he needs to, and he can design it. He's got about a year and a half to go. Once he finds out, uh, when, just before Popoff, uh, Popoff uh, tells us. So that goes to Sully. So Sully knows now that the West knows. Right. So there's going to have to be more. And it, and, it, and Oswald doesn't arrive until the end of 59. So it gives Sully enough time to jigger things around so that all the, the stuff comes to his desk, all the other government documents and everything. Mm. So he has control, full control ah, okay. of everything. So, but that's just the first part of it. Um, he has to, so here, let's. It's, I think it's time to talk about when Sully is actually activated.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Okay. Because he let me say uh, the, the, a lead that that cropped up in the book shows that James McCord of Watergate fame ends up being involved as well as them all.
0: They were in uh, World War Two together. Th-
1: and this is not something that I finished. I, the, his story is 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 littered through three or four chapters in there. And recently, in the past several weeks, I've been getting ready for the new digital version. And this is a big deal. It's going to be a it'll be a, a chapter or two all all on its own. The McCord story. McCord is actually Sully's boss. So to understand where they are, let's just go over this again. This is the Office of Security. It is a high echelon thing all into itself. There are six staffs. I won't name them all. The most important one is the security research staff research, and within the research staff, there's there's several branches, but there's one called the research branch, research, and that is where, at that desk, all information on moles, on false, uh, on defectors, on false defectors, and the personnel files of mm. everybody in the CIA, all there at that one desk.
0: The perfect place to that
1: have. That is them. where Sully is. That's where he is, and it turns out that McCord is the deputy chief of SRS of that staff. So he's the boss of Sully, they're sitting at a desk close to each other and they're keeping their mouths shut because uh, Sully, especially if he says one word the wrong way, he could be outed, you know, for for what he was doing. So he was sitting there as a sleeper the whole time. These two guys, McCord and Sully were flyers uh, in World War II over Germany. They have bombers or bombardiers. And so were the Russian guys there too. And there, you know, you get you get banged up, and the holes in your your airplane. You got to land somewhere. So there was a lot of interaction between Russian and American pilots. In fact, we gave them most of their planes. Some of them came across the Pacific, and and so on. There's a lot of interesting stories about about all of that. But um, so, Bruce Sully um, was the guy who knew, because the security office was also providing security for the U-2 program, knew uh, the technical details of the, of the plane. Uh, it, the, the actual uh, pamphlet, and not a pamphlet, it's, it's a pretty thick little uh, item that, that has the history of the U-2. And it has the security part of it too, and it's 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 not classified anymore. It's there. The, sec- the office of security provided security for the U two. So he knew the technical details. Now we have to go, uh, go to the the cold war and the cold war when the cold war becomes a hot war, which was in 1956. Uh, there was a there had been over the previous year. A sort of explosion or implosion going on there. Uh, of, of there was suddenly a lot of the countries there. There was a lot of pro-Soviet influence had cropped up real fast, and so there were a lot of concerns about this in in the Western powers, and they made the decision to do something about it. They wanted to to um, they wanted to to make sure Egypt would be in the right camp that, and that the Suez Canal uh, would be in in Western. Western hands, and so there was. They invaded. At that time, Eisenhower was our president. Now he's got a spy service, and Khrushchev is is the, in charge over there on the other side in in Moscow. He's got the spy service. Eisenhower um, had continued the decommissioning of American forces at the end of World Two, World War Two. We had a huge army, the biggest thing in the, in the on the earth at the time, and it was just way too big to be used for anything. So they. He continued to decommission and and to try and put emphasis on on um, the economy, and so and the reason his reasoning was that he could do the same thing with with uh, nuclear weapons. They were cheap. Outfitting you know uh, divisions and armies and training them is hundreds and thousands of times more expensive than that. So that's what he had done and was and was doing, and and so he. It was at this time that the CIA had come up with the U-2. And at first, uh, in June of 1956, uh, he allowed that plane to go over East Germany and Poland, but that's it. Well, by the time we get to July, things are heating up. He makes a decision to let the U-2 fly over Soviet territory. Because what is he looking for? He wants to know, he's probing Khrushchev to see whether or not they're gonna send troops in. Now, people that we sent in on the ground forever got caught and executed instantly. So the only thing that he could do was to use the U-2, it's a spy plane. Mm -hmm. So it could look for troop movements and things on rails and that kind of stuff to see if there was any indication that the Russian forces were going to actually themselves intervene. Against the, the British, and um, the French armies in
0: there. What was so special about the U two besides it just fifty two thousand feet was was, a, was
1: above what uh, Soviet radars could even see at. Okay. So the PP uh, P two or whatever it, uh, I forget the nomenclature PP something or other uh, was something that that Oswald would have known about. He was a guy using with a grease pencil. Or the three places there was uh, in Great Britain they had one. In Incirlik, Turkey, they had another U-2 base and then at Atsuki, Japan. The one in, in Japan was important because um, the U-2s could fly over the impact areas of the Soviet ICBM program, which mm-hmm. Khrushchev had boasted about, said they had tons of them. And the fact of the matter is they, they weren't hitting their targets.
0: <laughs> oh, really? Yeah,
1: and, and and the real truth was that Khrushchev decided not to uh to that particular version, that particular missile, to uh, produce it because it was it was so bad. He w- he was going for second generation, so he was lying about all the stuff he had, and that that truth came out literally when Kennedy got elected president. So all the thing, a lot of things he said, uh, boasting that he was going to do to get Castro, he had promises he had to keep. That's another whole story, but going back to 1956, mm-hmm. um, this is when. Um, Khrushchev finds out that these U-2s are flying over his territory. And there's nothing he can do about it. Now, Khrushchev, it took him four years to win the leadership struggle after Stalin died. Right. And he's on very uh, shaky ground. There are, there are people in in the wings waiting for him to stumble just once and get rid of him and take his job. So when he finds out about the U-2s and they can't shoot him down, and he knows— that they have a high echelon mole over that they haven't activated. Who knows the U- the specs of the U2s? He says I want to shoot them down. So he tells some some of his senior KGB guys, "You guys get on your hobby horse and you're going to Washington, and you're going to bring me back the details." And oh, by the way,
0: so he said, "Go activate this guy."
1: Yes, you got to go meet him. It's either that or he comes here. But he he also wanted. Um, How
0: do you activate? this guy?
1: Well, somebody has to tell him. There has to be another mole somewhere. That's got to be
0: so difficult.
1: But that that mole has had access to the Soviet Union. Now, who would that be? There's only one guy in the security office, and no Americans were allowed to go into East Europe and Soviet-denied territory, but I have McCord's travel records in that very month. He was cleared by the security office for travel through W.E., Western Europe, through E.E., Eastern Europe, and for travel in Soviet-denied territory. so always boss. Yeah, yeah. He's been over there for years. That's what part of his job was to go over there all the time and go to visit our stations in Berlin and Vienna and so on and so forth. And so he was able to have contact because What do you think happens in Berlin? People go across the borders, and and spies talk to spies, and all this kind of stuff. And same thing in Vienna. Mm. So that's how Sully was able to to have contact with probably the GRU, which is where the they found out about it. This is the Soviet uh, military intelligence, some GRU units over there. Um, but it has to be somebody because because they knew Sully had this this material mm-hmm. in '56, not just when before Popov. Who, right. who told, right. told his case officer in 1958. They, back in 56, that was the whole raison d'etre for this trip. Now, I want you to imagine that you are one of these high echelon uh, uh, KGB guys in Moscow, and you were told you and two of your buddies are going to go to Washington, D.C., the United States of America, incognito, and you're going to meet this guy who's been— Sleeping the whole time, and you're going to ask him questions. You're going to be face to face with this guy. You got to go over there and do that. You happy about that? Hell no. You're married, you know, and you you never know what's going to happen. I mean, you could get assassinated. You, right. you can be PNG'd, uh, but what's PNG'd? It, there, well, uh, persona non grata. You okay. could be thrown out of the country, um, and it, they're in a little bit of trouble because they're, they're using false names. Komarov was what. Uh, the, the top guy used his name was Vladislav Kovchuk. <clears throat> There's a couple of very, very good, and I, I mean, capable uh, KGB guys. Kondrashev is the number one guy. Bagley on our side was the number one counterintelligence conner- conner- guy. Anyway,
0: this other one, Khrushchev used. So you're the first person to ever find out these minute details about these officers flying from Moscow to Washington when they did it. Bagley under, he, he... How do you find this
1: stuff? He, Bagley wrote about it. Bagley wrote about about the trip. He doesn't know quite as much as I know about it because oh I've, I've got Sully's travel records. He didn't have that. He didn't know Sully. He didn't know who the mole was. Okay? But what he knew was that Cough and two other people went over to find the mole, whoever the mole uh-huh. was. Got it. This book here uncovered that mole. That's why it's called uncovering Papa's mole, okay? But it's a dangerous thing that, that, that's going on here. And so the problem is, how are they gonna talk to the mole? How are they gonna right. find Sully? How are they, somebody has to tell Sully, right? But you know, if, if they just go back there and start looking for safe houses, they're gonna look like three Russians looking for safe houses. You know, the KGB, the Buck, Hoover's Bucket Brigade will be all over those guys. Right, mm-hmm. so you gotta have somebody you can rely on—an American who's gonna go search for uh, places to meet. Now that's what Edward Ellis Smith had been doing, right? In the in Moscow, uh, he was the first real CIA plant in the embassy in Moscow. He had been a an economist guy. But uh, it, the State Department had rules against any KGB guys in being in the embassy, so the CIA decided, well, let's not tell the uh, let's not tell the ambassador. So instead of having two or three or four guys, they chose one guy, Bruce. Uh, excuse me, not, Edward Edward L. Ellis Smith, yeah. uh, who was married, and his wife was back in the United States, so he didn't have you know any carnal relations with his wife going on. Anyway, so um, he's chosen and by he By who? By K- Vladislav Kovchuk. You know why? Okay. And why he was chosen? Because he was the chief of KGB operations against the American Embassy in Moscow. That's where Edward Ellis Smith was. He was he was in the embassy, working okay. in the embassy. Right. So this one guy knew all the Americans in the embassy that was his job for years was to know every American that was in there okay he's right. the chief of kgb operations against that embassy right so where are you going to find an american if you can if you can actually turn them to your side where are you going to find an american to do this in washington that you are sure is going to work for you an american
0: that's going to work for you right Okay, you got to compromise them somehow, right?
1: Yes, but you have to have a good candidate, and you don't know who's an American over there that they can—they can't just go on airplanes and go over there and go recruit somebody, right? <clears throat> they got somebody because it turns out that a couple of months before July 1956, Kofschok recruits Edward Ellis Smith. He uses his maid, who's actually a KGB major, pretty go- pretty girl, uh, and he and, and Ellis Smith falls into the trap instantly, and they break in. With the cameras in the middle of this, uh, what do they call it? Uh, delecto something or other. <laughs> it's just a it's a word for sex. They're in the they're they in, break in over during the act. Yes, and, and and take pictures of him there, and uh, he's and he's scared to death. Anyway, huh. um, I'll save us a little time by by giving too many details. But <clears throat> what, what happens is he's recruited right by cough Shock and he's told a story right away. You're okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're gonna, you're gonna live fabulously for the rest of your life, and you won't have to keep doing stuff. We, we, we just need you to do to to do a couple of things for us, and it's all gonna be over. We're gonna you're gonna be paid for life with high um, with money, and you're gonna have a great job in California. <clears throat> it, McCord's the one that tells him all the details of this. By the time they get him back, McCord anyway,
0: tells who the details of this.
1: McCord has to, is the guy who brings
0: him back. He brings Ellis Smith from Moscow all the way to Washington. McCord knows that Ellis Smith has been compromised. Yes. Okay, got it. He's got to take him. He's got to take him over there. Okay. And then he has to be tried. It has to
1: be interrogation. Now, McCord tells Ellis Smith not to worry. In fact. Kaufschuck told him exactly how to handle the ambassador. You're going to wait for a couple of weeks, almost. You know, uh, this was in we're talking April, so we're we're talking almost July. We're in June. You finally you go to the ambassador. And you say, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I messed up. I I made a mistake, and and I didn't know what to do. I thought that if I if I didn't do what they wanted me to do, that they would." Give me drugs or or kidnap me or something like that and and I really am so sorry that I made this mistake and so the ambassador Boland was his name um, he goes back to tell Eisenhower about it they meet on the golf course and this is and we have the the conversation he says they didn't tell me they had a CIA guy working in my embassy and they took nude pictures of him you know he says. As, anyway,
0: oh my he, God. he has this talk
1: with Ike on 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 the golf course about that. But anyway, the, so let's get back to the situation here. So, so you, we have this this show of contrition in front of the ambassador, which is feigned. It's, it's on purpose. So he's going to have to go, he's going to have to go back. They can't leave him there. So that's what they want. They want him back in Washington. And so when they they by the time they arrive he's he's told what he's got to do. Now he had been he had been looking for safe houses for Popoff cuz Popoff was going to get reassigned to Moscow. So he had Ellis Smith had been already learning how to s- scout for okay. safe houses okay. in Mos- Moscow but he did a terrible job. Popov said they all sucked. <laughs>
0: the things he did. So when he gets back there he How do you he, find a good safe house? What are the what what kind of credentials do you Face to face Face-to-face. Right, face-to-face. But what, what is a safe house? Where does it got to be? What does it got to
1: be? It doesn't work? matter, so long as nobody knows where it is and the two people that are going to go there know where it is. Public places, usually? or or Well, it, yeah, so it depends when you say public. Right in the middle of a park, probably not. Okay. Why is a movie house a great place?
0: A movie theater?
1: It's dark. Yeah. It's <laughs> you can't great... see anything in there. Right, right. So... That's what he's told he's going to do. That's what McCord tells him to do, right? And McCord can give him some some skinny because McCord's grown up there in in Washington. So McCord can say, "Okay, these 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 areas of the city are probably the best place, you know, because there's going to be more whatever, you know." So um, that's what he does, and it takes quite a while for him to come up with a set of places that fits fits the bill. In the meantime. He's been thrown out of the CIA and while he's walking around looking for these things he looks like a hobo who's down on his luck he's jobless he's been thrown out of the CIA this is what the FBI knows they're not interested the Hoover's bucket brigade thinks this guy knows nothing now he's a nobody so they yeah. pay no attention to him that was that was part of the, the, the way too to make sure that that he
0: would he would look penniless you would think after he came to them and told them that story about how they caught him in that honey trap that they would be Keeping an eye on him. No, uh,
1: that's early. That's early on. Okay. So in other words, uh, they know that that he's that he said, okay, I did it, and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So what are you going to do? You're going to keep him in the CIA? Hell no. You're going to throw him out. But you're still going to keep an eye on him. No, that you don't keep an eye on him because that's Hoover's job is to keep the eye on him. Okay. So. Now they did keep an eye on him, but not the good part of the CIA, not the people that, that do, people that were working with cough shock were mm-hmm. the Americans in the CIA who were in on this operation. right. So nobody got in their way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Everybody in the CIA God, thought right. this is what this is they're in charge. right. McCord's in charge of this. He's a highfalutin guy had been. So the, nobody questioned anything in the CIA about this. And so, but you only had the FBI to deal with. Now, the FBI never did catch him the whole time. It was several months. Uh, we're talking about by the time he started scouting out the places, there's no way that, that Coughshark and the guys are going to go buy their tickets and their, get their false passports until those safe houses are in place. Right. And so they didn't uh, ask for either their their credentials until November of 1956. And then it takes a few weeks. By the time they were ready to go, it's, it's in December. But anyway, so Ellis Smith has been going around doing this stuff um, for months. And so um, he's told by McCord, even at the very beginning, while he's going through the interrogation, uh, don't worry, we're going to be giving you money on the side every single month. And it was, uh, I have the, the name of it here is, it's just one of these uh, organizations that was uh, CIA connected that they could give money. And so, but but there was, the big money was going to be later on when it was all over, when he could go to California. And he was told what his job was going to be. He was going to have a, a high position, a very nice office in the Hoover Institute of the University of Stanford. Hmm. Now, the guy had already, uh, divorced his wife uh, after all this stuff. And so he married a Russian woman. I have to, I'm still have to investigate. I want to f- investigate the dates for all that. But anyway, he was asked to stay around uh, after the meeting. The meetings took place in the first week of January. They went off like, you know, no, no glitches.
0: The right? meetings with, with, with these with two the, KGB guys and Soli. Three of them, yeah. Three of them and Soli. That's right. They met in the movie theaters.
1: That's right. And so, but the next thing was,
0: and Sully gave them the technical details for the U two.
1: He did, but he wasn't done yet. There was one other thing that that Khrushchev wanted, which was the, the enough information on Popoff to hang him without betraying McCord and Sully's participation in this whole affair, and that wasn't that was not hard. That's, they knew about Popov way back, and, the, and he was so insecure that they just were just waiting for him to make mistakes.
0: So what happens is— But wait, wh- okay, explain to me, again, like I'm a third grader, why Khrushchev wanted to get rid of Popov this early. Because Pop- this is before Popov, Popov told— Popov was his-
1: giving nuclear secrets and all kinds of stuff. This guy was high up in, the, in, in, in uh,
0: the GRU. And how did he know about that? How did who know? How did Khrushchev know about Popov giving all these secrets to the CIA? Because he was making mistakes. Okay. He was making
1: mistakes, and okay. and he was he was going across the borders in Berlin, and 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 his and his uh, his uh, what do we call it? Um, his technique uh, wasn't good. His cra- his trade craft was not good. He was seen in a lot of places. They they he knew he was a drunk, wasn't he? Well, he was drunk and he was also, he was married and he was he was having an affair was, right. with uh, right. Bielik right. all along. And she ended up turning uh, on him later on because of a political thing in in, in one of the countries uh, in Yugoslavia, where she was from. But okay. anyway, the point is that there were th- two or three different areas that were very, uh, looked very good, that were connected with where he had been. Uh, his remit had been two places. He had spent time uh the GRU was one of the pe- people that that were well represented in in Russian presidencies, not presidencies, in in premiers. Russian in Russian uh, people that are are, are working uh, jobs uh-huh. in Berlin and in Vienna. Those were the two biggest things that, any, you know, they're in East Europe really, if you think about Vienna, but it was neutral. Uh, it was one of the first ones to go neutral, and then when you talk about Berlin, I mean you are in the middle of Eastern East Germany. It's not like you're in Germany or something. There is no Germany. Germany has been cut up, and so on. It's a very dangerous place to be. But that's where that's where Popoff had worked, and so. Uh, so what you want to do is get somebody who can go, an American who can go to those places and ask questions about Popoff. And there's no better person to do that than Sully, right? Nobody can ask him why he's asking questions. He's a senior officer from, from, right. from the Office of Security. Right. And, and besides which, uh, Popoff's the guy who's created all this mess, that's endangering Sully himself. He's got to protect himself in right, all of this. Right. So he has. He's got some skin in the game to make sure that they get rid of this guy and not not un, un, unmask him. And he's he's pretty bright. Unlike does like other guys who are drunk, Sully. Like Philby, <laughs> drunk
0: Sully was not a drunk. He didn't drink at this point in time. Did Khrushchev was he aware that Popov? knew about Sully? Um, I, I doubt it. I, why would he know that? I don't know. No. So Popov just knows about think Popov eventually found out about Soli somehow. Yes, but not his name he just okay he knew there was a he just knew there was a mole but
1: yeah because he had overheard in, in a gru meeting that there was a mole at the high highest echelons who had uh, the technical details right khrushchev knew about the mole he may have known the name there was really no need for him to know the name he probably did know the name but you wouldn't want that name to get around because right. because both sides were penetrated and so there's very few people that understand what's happening here um uh, but uh
0: where where were we before you asked that question? So you so, um, Khrushchev wanted these guys, these three guys, the three GRU guys that went to the U.S. to not only get the no, they UTR- weren't GRU; those were KGB, KGB, guys. the two, the three KGB guys that went to the U.S. He wanted them to not only get the technical details for the U two, but also wanted them to figure out how to get Popov.
1: Well, they weren't going to participate in that. They are KGB guys. So they can't walk into a CIA station in Berlin or, or, or uh, uh, Vienna and ask questions. Right. What we're looking for is the footprint that Popoff made when he went in, in across the, the line in Berlin and so on and talked to the CIA guys. Mm-hmm. So you're going to go to CIA stations to ask these questions to hang Off with. Right. Well, you can't have Russians going in there and exactly. doing that. You have to have an American. And you have to have an American who when he asks a question, nobody says, "Excuse me, sir, what do you why are you asking that question?" Mhm. So Sully goes on his first trip over there. After the meeting between Kovshok and Gook and and Kislov with uh, Sully, Sully that and that's January in in February and March, Sully goes over, and you've got the map yep. of where he went. He sits down in Zurich for a couple of weeks, and uh, which is about, about 30 to 40 minutes uh, away from those two, two Vienna and, and uh, Berlin. And that's what he's doing. Here's the map. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at that map, it's, it The thing that always bothered me about it, that I couldn't explain, all this stuff, I understood. All, you
0: want to hold, hold it up next to the sure. microphone. Yeah.
1: All a, little the, bit, a little bit higher. There okay. you go. Right there. Perfect. There's the map. Here's France. Here's Poland. Here's Prague. Here's Switzerland, right in the middle of everything. And there's, there's CIA stations there in, in Zurich and in Geneva. But anyway... Um, a lot of the times uh, later on when Sully would go he would always do it in Paris because he would meet he would meet KGB guys in Paris which was full of KGB guys that's but that's the other story let's leave that alone 1962 and, and and so this is back this is back in 1950 56 57 in 57 and so um, here is where he spends almost all his time. All these other things are just legs that, that within 24 hours, you're on your way. Except for Paris, he'd always stay two days. Anyway, why did he come in? He comes in, in down here in Rome. And actually before Rome, he started in Beirut. So he went from Beirut to Rome, from Rome to Zurich. And that's where he stayed most of the whole time on this long trip. It was about two and a half, three weeks or so he's here because he can go to, and do these these things from this is his home base Okay. in Zurich.
0: Sorry, po- uh, point it towards the camera a little oh, bit more. Oh, okay.
1: So, um, later on, when I was writing that book, Uncovering off's Mole, I figured out why he went to Beirut first. You see, because F- Kim Philby was, had always been the guy that the KGB used to get all the, the information out of Angleton, the head of CIA counterintelligence. Right. They had worked together in Great Britain. And, and they got drunk together, and, and Angleton told him everything. Then they went to, to Washington, and Philby became the liaison between MI6 and, and right. the CIA. So so Philby now was the Philby one got most... to give the secrets of the United States, of CIA and MI6, mm. until there was a problem with uh, a couple of guys, Burgess and McLean, had to run to, to Russia. And the stink wore off on him because they were his friends. And so they interrogated him. They couldn't prove it. They suspected him. Mm-hmm. And so what happens was he resigned and that was the way they resolved it. He resigned in 51 when the CIA was, was started. Okay. Okay. So now we're, we're talking about Sully and McCord going there in 51, right. but not being used in this operation until much later. So, uh, McCord was able to be here all the time because that was his job. He could travel over there. He was the only guy who did
0: Right, right. right.
1: So that's why he's so interesting and important to us because we have to have these communication things. But anyway, so what happens is uh, after five years of of, of Philby not having any work at all, they reactivate him to use, to go over to Beirut and look at, because that's where the, 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 the crisis is, okay? In the Middle East. It's very close to Beirut is right in the middle of the crisis okay so they send they send um, Sully there first um, and what what happens is uh, excuse me I've got ahead of myself my that's where that's where Philby is sent to and his job there is going to be just uh, open source information and he's going to give that to the CIA um, guy that that is running the CIA station in Beirut. Okay. So he's over there now. And um, Philby has a father who's well known all over the, the place. He, yes. And he had a mountaintop right over Beirut. And, and so while, w- when, at the time that Philby comes there and at the very time, believe it or not, the very time that Sully shows up in Beirut Philby's father vacates the house, takes all his kids on a vacation, and it's empty. And so you have uh, the KGB, who needs a replacement for Philby, and has had since '51. And you have uh, Philby alone on top of the mountain, right over Beirut. Who knows all about how to how to use Angleton. And that's why that's why. <laughs> The first leg of this trip solely was sent to Beirut. Okay. Finally I got my answer. It took me a long time. I never realized. I thought, what the hell is Beirut doing in this in this in this trip? Because I know that it has How to be How did you was... finally find this? Because I started working on the Philby case. And I got deep in I owned every book on the on the stuff you can imagine on the MI six guy. So that's it was very it was it was it was easy once right as, as they say in china very easy if you know how Good you god
0: know? <laughs> but not quick holy crap man you had to do a lot of research to put all these pieces well together. The,
1: it was the last four months that we started working the uh the whole mi6 stuff in mm. and it just it, it was fantastic and people should watch this series on tv it was six six episodes called uh a Traitor amongst friends and uh, they they messed up the Angleton stuff a little bit, but mm-hmm. it was it was really accurate in a lot of ways, and it was more about Elliot, who was Philby's case officer, if I can say that at the time, and um, he let him go, he let him get on the boat. He could have stopped it. He could have arrested it, but they they let they let they let uh, in in sixty in nineteen. Sixty, I think, mm-hmm. is when he eventually he was he was so drunk all the time with his wife, they because he knew that it, the end was coming, and um, he got on a Russian boat and and went over to over to Moscow. And thank goodness he wrote a book about himself, so we don't have to prove it with documents.
0: And he and Philby actually admitted in his book everything that he did.
1: Yeah, he did. what <laughs> he said to Angleton, he said, Angleton was so embarrassed, he told about all that stuff. So you know, the Sully stuff I, I had to I, you know, I, Sully didn't write a book, OK? Philby did. So I had to do a little bit of work you know, <laughs> to put the, together who it was that the KGB finally used to replace Philby with.
0: Wow. How, what were the implications of him spilling the beans on all that? Did he get in any trouble? Or was did he give a fuck? Was he on his deathbed anyways? Or who, who's he? Philby? he be writing that book and talking about everything that he did. I imagine that. No, he Moscow, was not He
1: was. He was. He was safe. He was given the Heroes award. Okay. You know, in in Moscow for all of the years he spent. Oh, way back, this guy, back in the forties, was already working for him. Mm, okay. And so, but uh, they didn't really. They didn't want him to leave the country. He didn't. That ever happen. <laughs> they let his wife come over for a while, for once to visit with him for a while, but right. she didn't stay for very long. Right. And um, you know, he continued to drink but not as hard, but he did de- he I'm sure he died of liver psylosis of okay. so the river eventually. Okay. Liver. So,
0: so so what happened after Khrushchev got these details of these spy? He finally got the details of the U twos. He finally he got what he needed, all the info he needed on Popov, right? That's right. And they and they arrested him. They arrested Popov without compromising solely.
1: Or McCord or anything. It was all stuff that happened in places that Popov went, so there was no It was they could use it because
0: because the reason they they had to be very careful for people who are listening, who may not be keeping up. Basically, the reason they needed to arrest Popov for they needed to find other reasons completely disconnected from Soli. So because events in his life, events in his life, right, events in his life, because if they did arrest him that had anything with any sort of connection to Sully, it would have how do you know this stuff
1: is the reason how do you know and 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 the reason is well because he was insecure and he did this this and this and Mm -hmm. that you know wasn't that hard Mm -hmm. but uh solely put the, the nail in the coffin there but but you know what when you look at it now there was something more important than that and that's the beirut trip so you know, Khrushchev got got the things he wanted out of it, but uh, the other thing that they're getting out of it, is, that his spy service is getting out of it, is the new guy, and this is uh, a a a bonus uh, that Khrushchev will uh, he stays in power for for quite some time until until after Kennedy's death when he's purged. So he. He ends up getting a new, a new, mole even better than than uh, than Philby. This guy doesn't drink. This guy is pretty safe. The thing he didn't really understand was that one day, and he did he did uh, change the tags on his suitcases. So the reason we know this is the last chapter in the book is about. A uh, a defector, a navy defector from Russia that we got a hold of, and and he was thrown back, uh, and used up, and and uh, Sully had to escort him there, and and Sully basically helped turn him over to the Russians who, who killed him, and the, his wife was with him. It was supposed to be a, a trip, and it's a sad, it's a sad chapter because on on the way home, Sully was in the plane with her and never said a thing, oh. but um, yeah, so. Um, Anyway, it was a big feather in the hat uh, for Khrushchev. They solved everything. Uh, they, they got Kitty Hawk, which we haven't had time to talk about. It's another operation that KGB had to save Nisenko. We haven't talked about him either, the Nisenko de- defection, things like that. But what happens ultimately is that the people in the, the CIA's Soviet Russia division, um, a, a battle erupts over KGB guys that that uh, came over and they were supposedly bona fide, but they weren't. They were provocations. All of them were. And, uh, what does that
0: mean, bona fide?
1: It means, in other words, if they came over, they really were a defector. They really defected to us. That's bona fide. Okay. But if they're not, they're a provocation. Okay, they are not bona fide. They're malified.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> okay, and so they were all uh, not. They were all none of them were bona fide. But what happens was, Sully and his guys began to acquire power uh, in 1955 and 56, and especially with Hoover. Hoover did not want anything to be. Bonafide, because if it was, that meant he missed it. Right. So he went along with the KGB's wishes that uh, these guys were bona fide. They really were. Uh, so if, if they're, if, if, uh, what I meant to say is if, if they were false defectors and he missed that, that would be bad for him. Right. So um, the short version of the story is that there was a battle that raged inside of the cia for for three or four years and sully won and uh he had the help of the director of central intelligence uh, richard helms uh, gave him charge of everything to do to decide what had happened and who what should and who should be you know and so bagley was put out to pasture he he was our best guy a lot of things happened, but, but um, they sent new, new guys uh, in, a guy by the name of Kochnov who was there as part of this operation to finish the job of the uh, KGB's takeover of the CIA. Kitty Hawk was the last death knell of anything uh, authentic going on in, in, the, in the Soviet Russia division or, or in the CIA. And uh, so um, Sully, who kept his mouth shut the whole time, finally felt that he could come out in the open. And so he openly um, went along with, with uh, Nosenko being bonafide, Golitsyn, who gave us good stuff, saying he was not bonafide, and this, this guy ordered off. Wow, we should use him in an operation or something. This was the KGB agenda. Sully so um, went along with, publicly, and uh, eventually he sent a memo to, to Helms asking him to sign it to make sure that he, he could prove that. And so later on in the House Select Committee he got, saw that document that, that, uh, that Helms had signed um, about you know what was going on, this big argument. He, he, they asked him, why did you sign uh, Sully's thing? And he said, well, because I had to. We weren't getting any work done. I had to take the bone out of my throat. He admitted in front of the House Select Committee that he didn't believe the document he had signed, and they were just flummoxed at that. And that was his—that was his answer: that 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 he had somebody had to win in order to do any work. Hmm. Everything had stopped because of this. The two sides were, and and Bagley was—you just—he couldn't refute his arguments, and so they had to just do. You know, muscle their way through it, and and so they they didn't fire back. They gave him a job, you know, overseas in in Brussels, and mm-hmm. that's where Malcolm Blunt met him. And, and and Malcolm Blunt and I were were close, and had been since I wrote um, Oswald and the CIA, which we don't have that one on the table here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, that's a it, it's a messy, complicated story, and black and white you can find on both sides. Right. Of the divide in the Cold War and in the world.
0: As far as Oswald goes, where did we left off with Oswald the last time we spoke about him a little bit earlier. He defected. He falsely defected to Moscow. And this information, this, the documents regarding this came out publicly how long ago? Did the, the US release these documents that, that most of them,
1: the million, six million uh, pieces of paper were released in 2017, 2018.
0: In 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. right. And this is so this is publicly known that he defected to Moscow, the false defection to Moscow. Um he was there in Minsk for a while, staying there, didn't like, didn't want to come out, and that's where a lot of the Ukrainian KGBs were training at a high school.
1: Okay. He didn't want to come out until he got the mess. Until he got the the heads up, it's time to come home. Okay. He was having a blast. Uh, he married a pretty woman. Uh, there's pictures of him sitting there in in Miss. Uh, it's 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 where the KGB Higher School of Education is, and those the the people the some of the um, uh, teachers in that in that KGB school were the ones who were interrogating him, and mm-hmm. he knew it, and they said he knew he was being interrogated. Anyway, he was having a great time uh, with his friends and some of them were at that institute and some of them weren't they were just from around town mm-hmm. it was he was his place where he lived was right downtown on the main on the main street where the entire cadet corps of that KGB school ran by his his building every day every morning mm-hmm. and um, and so there came a point where it was time to come home right there was nothing else for him to do over there and, the, and one thing that they were interested in, would be interrogating him to see what they, what the, what the KGB had done to get his story. Right. You know, it, they don't get on the phone call and call up Oswald and, and how's it going over there, Lee? You know, no, it's, it, right. it, it's, uh, he had to come home to tell his story. Mm-hmm. And boy, he when he gets off the boat, there's a traffic jam in the world, man. It's called the Cuban Missile Crisis. You name it, it's right. going on. in right. in the middle of '62, you know, this is when Lemnitzer, failing to get what he wanted out of Kennedy in the Bay of Pigs, failing what he wanted to get out of Kennedy in Berlin two times, which would have been Armageddon for us that, that we got out of that. And then comes the Cuban Missile Crisis, and Lemitzer says to himself, well, you know, Kennedy didn't go for it, you know, and uh, the... Um
0: Can you explain that meeting that they had? There, there was a meeting, I forget the actual name of the meeting, where Kennedy had to go to with Lemitzer and all these guys. Yeah, where I was they just ex- getting up to that. Okay, sorry. Yeah.
1: Um. Uh, so Lemiters idea why he does this why he says this to Kennedy be, is because he's thinking maybe uh, you know going into the Bay of Pigs Kennedy didn't want to do because we we're it looked like what it was was we were beaten up on a little country that hadn't done any, really done anything so maybe if we give him a pretext he'll be interested and so the pretext was well, we shoot a couple of uh, Cubans that are making out in in, in dinghies trying to go to, to Miami. And in Miami, oh, we're going to shoot down a plane, by the way, uh, over the over the Gulf.
0: That's Operation Northwoods.
1: Yes, this is all part of Northwoods. And we're going to kill uh, some people in in Miami. And then we're going to blow some stuff up and probably killing people in Washington. And we're going to tell the American people that Khrushchev, excuse me, that um Castro did this, okay? We're going to tell the American people Castro did it so that the American people will want to go to war with Cuba. And uh, that is what I, what I say, you know, and I say it in the book in Into the Storm. I already have that part of it in, in the book, you know, that was, he he. He violated his, his oath of office and, and sullied the uniforming war. And I said, that's in my book. That's the way, and I'm going to say it and said it out loud, and I'll keep saying it out loud. Uh, you don't you don't go do things like that to trick the American people into going to war. It just we don't do that. And when you do that kind of stuff, what do we got here? It's not a republic. It's, a, it's like a tyranny. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and it, and it does, you know, eventually become one. But there, it's it's a very sad situation now. Uh, fortunately, and in some terms, in some ways, it's in, unfortunate. But the fortunate thing that what happened is, in that meeting between Kennedy and Lemetsch, Kennedy told him to, you know, get out. I'm not going to do this. He he. His precise words are, I've put in the book, but it's, uh, he doesn't swear or cuss or anything, but he makes it clear we're not going to do what he wants. And and so Lemitzer is turned down. Um, Lemitzer is coming up to his end of service and his end of tour uh, in the summer. And with a, with a flick of a pen, and, and uh, John Kennedy could have had him extended. Uh, as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, with with a you know uh, an act of Congress, which is easy to do, um, he didn't do that. He let he let that go, and he sent him over uh, to Europe and re his 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 term of service would have ended in the spring of '63. Anyway, Linbester ended up staying as the supreme Allied commander of Europe for eons. <laughs> and it kept getting extended you know by other Kennedy gets dead you know within a, within a year so Lemitzer goes on and on um, but what Lemitzer didn't know is about operation gladio i mentioned it briefly in this in this uh, conversation here that we were having and you see Lemitzer knew about operation gladio because he was actually working as a one star general with a bunch of generals that were putting together the whole thing to, to, to protect Europe from a Russian invasion, the Soviet invasion. <clears throat> and he was actually the guy who had a lot to do with what weapons were gonna be taken from weapon stocks of World War II to, whatever, to send them over there and so he he knew he would and, and he also knew because the SAC Ur is one of the two or three people at the top. He is the, the head of, of of NATO basically. And he knows about those two committees, but he also knows a lot about them because he helped supply those those weapons way back in nineteen forty eight. Kennedy has no idea about Operation Gladio, has no idea that they have these committees full of thugs and assassins and all those kinds of people, right? So he delivered into the hands of Lemnitzer a bunch of guys that could be sent back to the United States. They look like, you know, they're assassins and you can have a ton of those guys running around Dealey Plaza and it just flood, flood the zone with stuff. There's all kinds of things and people that turned up in Dealey Plaza that were from over there and these bad guys, you know, that, that had, had records of, of, of doing stuff like that. Um, if you get into the Dealey Plaza stuff, you'll see it. You'll, you'll see, you know, depending on which books you're, you, you read, this guy was used, uh, the guy who was doing a lot of stuff in Spain, or this guy, you know, the ex-Nazi guys that were in, in Germany and so on and so forth uh, end up being, running around. And all they are is they're just, what, what do you call it when you, when you flood the zone so you can, you can't find what you're looking
0: for? right throw more just throw more needles in the haystack
1: yeah yeah that's right so um anyway lemnitzer is over there but here's the problem who replaced him maxwell taylor then did now at the beginning of this conversation we started talking about like the kennedy assassination and i was going to draw a line between the beginning of his presidency when he said no to the Bay of Pigs all the way up to when he got assassinated and I I called it a coup. I called it basically a military coup supported by elements of the CIA. Those that few that, uh, were privy to it. Um, so Taylor Taylor, I, I, I call him uh, in, in my books, the, um, Trojan horse inside the gates, not just of uh, President Kennedy, but the Kennedy family itself. So, what happens? How does this happen? Uh, um, Lemitscher was working for Taylor in the Eisenhower administration. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, um, Taylor was the chief of staff of the army and and Lemaitre was the deputy chief of staff of the army. And um, so um, Taylor decided that we should change our um, policies, military policies from uh, just these spasmodic nuclear weapons. If we got into war, that we should be able to, if we get into a war, be able to, To have one without using nuclear weapons. This was called flexible response. Mm -hmm. And he wrote, and and he was, all the generals didn't like it. Uh, And so he realized that he, he, you know, he was of no use, and there was no way he was. He decided to leave, and he wrote a book on certain trumpet on it, and his whole thing about flexible response. And so when Kennedy decides that he wants to do an investigation of the Bay of Pigs failure. His brother, Bobby, all of a sudden is is put in charge of a lot of stuff because whereas he was just the attorney general after the Bay of Pigs, guess what happens to Bobby Kennedy? He's still the attorney general, but he sits in every meeting from that day on, not at the table, but in a corner, in a chair, empowered to, to pipe up anytime he wants and tell somebody, no, you're wrong about that. Now, you have all these senior guys, military and civilian, that Bobby's pops off to right and so they don't like him nobody likes Bobby he's like a rat terrier you know protecting his brother after after what happened Mm. and and so um, all of a sudden here comes uh, here comes Taylor he's brought in to this this committee and in charge of it along with Bobby now it's amazing everybody else hates Bobby Kennedy, but, he, but but not Taylor. He loves him. He likes the president's brother. And so, um, what he knows is what he wants. Is he wants to get control? He is not a Kennedy supporter. He is, in fact, uh, there's a fear that that uh, having. Taylor in the White House, the, fear in the military that, oh, oh, wait, you know, we've got a guy over there. How can we do our job with the new joint chiefs of staff, that whatever they were? Um, uh, if if the guy who's got the president's ear can can go against us, right? And but they fixed that. Taylor made a deal with Landry, sir, that listen, you tell me what you want to do first, and I'll vet ways in which I can get Kennedy to go along with it. So they were working together from the very beginning. Now the next thing is, we get to the end of 61, and Kennedy decides that he wants, and everybody wants combat troops into Vietnam, even at this time. By the way, Lemitzer wants war in Cuba, Laos, and Vietnam all at the same time. How can you do that and you don't even have enough uh, Ground forces to fight one war, right There's one answer. How are you going to do that? Nuclear weapons. you don't have to use ground forces when you're going to blow the pogies out of everybody. Anyway, back on the ranch here. Um, so here comes Taylor. and uh, he becomes so right after the this investigation is over of the Bay of Pigs, uh, he learns from Bobby. That uh, John Kennedy is the, is his brother the president wants him to take over the CIA because he's going to fire he's going to fire um, Dulles. He
0: and wants Bobby to take over the CIA.
1: No, Bobby tells tells Taylor that his father, I mean, excuse me, that his brother wants wants him to take over the oh, CIA. Got it. Okay. He's going to take over the CIA, mm-hmm. and 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 Taylor says, nah, I don't think so." My my wife and I, we've had too much travel overseas and I'd rather stay here. Now, look, if you have something for me uh, doing dealing with military things, um, I'd be happy to uh, try and help out. All right. So, OK, he makes him his military assistant. And he sends him over in, in December. He sends him over to um, have a look around um, in um in Cuba, no, it's not, uh, no, excuse me, not in Cuba. In Vietnam, he sends him to to look at, at at Vietnam, which is starting to bubble to bubble up, um, pretty bad actually. A lot of a lot of things going on in terms of attacks, Viet Cong attacks. But uh, mm-hmm. bottom line is, he was sent there with a uh, direct order from the president to come home with a recommendation not to send combat troops. It was phony. He was just, that was his job. That was that was his job. His okay. job was to go over there, look around and come home and say, we don't need combat troops. Right. He comes home and, and puts a p- proposal on the table to send combat troops under a flood relief t- task force cover. Kennedy gets a- absurdly angry with him for doing that. He tries to recall all copies of the memo, destroy it, and then he plants a false story in, in the New York Times saying that he came back and recommended against combat Kennedy did this. Mm-hmm. He does that to get even with, with you know, he, he plants stories and, and they don't know what to do about it because they know that he's behind it. But anyway, and then, and so, you would think that Kennedy would just fire him right there on the spot. But the problem was that not only did he worm his way into the administration, he wormed his way into the Kennedy family. And so they loved him. And, uh, and, and Bobby Kennedy named his second son or third, his third, he, he, one of the, Bobby Kennedy named one of his sons Maxwell. After him. Yeah. And that guy named his son Maxwell. Wow. So Kennedy lets him stay on. But not uh he can't deal with Vietnam with Vietnam. Mm-hmm. He's he loses his ability to, to recommend things on Vietnam. But he's a weasel and he manages what happens uh by by the time we go into sixty two, things are so bad that things are gonna change. And so we have a new command element, the m- military uh um uh, What was there was the military advisory group. The advisory group is gonna be replaced by MACV, Military Assistance Command Vietnam, a command, not just an advisory position. So MACV comes in and the the guy, uh, General Carter, not General Carter, who is it? No, I forget the the name of the guy um, who is is assigned, not McGar. Um maybe I'll think of his name in a minute. Um, so whoever it was that, that he sent uh, uh, as the MACV commander was actually Taylor's choice. And he was Taylor's protege. So in effect, Taylor is still running Vietnam because the new MACV commander is his guy. So after all the, the trouble we went through with the trip there and getting, his, getting him smacked down by JFK, he's still pretty much in control of what's going on in Vietnam. So we go through 62. There's a huge order of battle uh, thing going on that I d- describe in JFK in Vietnam, where uh, the all the forces, the Viet Cong forces are, are cut and in, in not just in the half, but 60% are eliminated after a big study is done. And uh, all, the true story of what's going on in Vietnam is not given to Kennedy. The false story he's given is that there's not that many troops. And the truth is that there's a lot of them. Now what Kennedy had decided to do, there's three options in Vietnam. We get out completely. We invade with troops. Those are off the table. What's on the table for Kennedy is an advisory effort. But when those numbers were were discovered, how many Viet Cong were there, the, the advisory effort was dead on arrival. So they had to hide it from Kennedy. But guess who knew all about it? The vice president got all the true reporting and the president got all the false reporting. And I know about it because the guy who was, work, was actually managing uh, Lyndon Johnson, who was the vice president at the time. Um, Howard Burris was his name. And uh, he took me to several places. We, I met with him 15, 20 times over the course of years. And he told me the whole story. He told me that whole story. Um, he didn't tell me some stories that I figured out later, mm. but he, he, he knew that he had to give me something. And that was a big deal. Nobody had heard about the, the order of battle uh, deception that had taken place in the spring of 62. Anyway, I don't want to spend too much time there, but that's a big deal. That had never been uh, put out before, and it is. And it in Army uh, books on the war, they they have to use that now because mm. it's true. And I, I was able to, to interview all the people that were involved in it. So... Um, so things continue to worsen all through the year. Kennedy's busy with Cuban Missile Crisis and a few other things on the, in the, on the planet. You know that it's not all about it's not all about Vietnam at that time. And so by the end of the year, uh, Kennedy starts sending people over there and sees that he's being lied to. And so he, so what? What's happening is that. Kennedy starts making a plan to get out of Vietnam, and um, the, at the time, uh, Kennedy is 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 allowing uh, somebody else, and not Taylor, uh, to to be his advisor, and that's going to be McNamara. He 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 reads. He got so sick and tired of being asked to send combat troops that he blew up at the end of 1961, early 62 uh, when they, when they put Mac v together and he brought in a lot of people he fired, including Dulles and, and others uh, that he fired and, he, and the replacements into one room <laughs> and he walks in and it was short and sweet. He said, look here, you either get with my program or you get out. And I want, who is it? Who's going, who going to carry out my policy in Vietnam? Who's it going to be? Now McNamara, the defense secretary, puts up his hand and said, I will, boss. Me and, and l That means Lemnitzer. But anyway, so there were Sec- Secretary of Defense conferences for the rest of the two years, regularly. Uh, McNamara would go out and come back, and he would go uh, diff- at different times. But anyway, they fed him all the, the, the bad informations so that Kennedy wouldn't know. So they used McNamara as as the vehicle while Burris made sure that Johnson got all the the true uh, order of battle stuff. In Vietnam. Anyway, um, I've got to hurry up here because what happens is Kennedy figures it out and they know he's figured it out and he knows that they know he's figured it out. So they're kind of like in a a game of chicken Mm -hmm. as we move into 63. Now at this time... Excuse me. Um, at this time, um, we're we move into a situation where um, something is is got to give and. In these six deaf conferences that take place uh, in in the spring. There's a lot, by the way, there's a lot of, of, of big Viet Cong strikes and stuff that are, that are just getting in the news and, and right. things like that. But as, as we move into the spring of 1963, <coughs> at one of these SecDef conferences, um, the, there's a general there by the name of Krulak. He ends up being, um, he's a Marine uh, general. He ends up uh, being there with, with um, I forgot to mention, I guess, uh, when, I think I did. He'd tell me if I if I didn't, that that when Lemnitzer was sent to sack your Taylor gets the job as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff.
0: Right, yeah, you said that.
1: Okay. So Taylor's now in charge of Vietnam. All right. And and the guy he works with is General Krulak. Now they made a plan called Sync- Commander-in-Chief Pacific Operational Plan 34 Alpha. What that was was a plan to invade Vietnam and Everything from pinpricks all the way up to uh, invasion and and, and and all kinds you know nuclear warfare. Every, everything it was it was a total plan to take uh, to win a war in Vietnam. Mm. And this is not. This is
0: when also around the time DARPA was created and yeah, they, they that, created a bunch of different things, the chemical warfare that they were. Uh, well, that that's going to that, come.
1: That's going to come. That's going to come after after Kennedy's death. Okay.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: That's when you know we send half a million troops over there. No, that we all had. All we had was advisors. We weren't. We weren't doing the defoliant and stuff during, kind Now there were there were some um, uh, aircraft that were being flown that were supposed to be flown by um, by Vietnamese and they weren't. They just had some cooks in the back seat. And so we, it was technically breaking some of Kennedy's rules. So there were some, some things that were over the line, but nothing like the, the, What you saw in Vietnam.
0: So um, we just—I mean, we just kind of got got into the weeds with everything that was going on with the uh, the SecDef meetings, and the Secretary of Defense. And and- we were
1: around on nineteen sixty-three.
0: Nineteen
1: sixty-three. In the spring, and that's when they started to come up with a plan uh, to invade. Vietnam and to be ready to do that it was called out plan 34a that's the, the short version it's it's also a commander-in-chief pacific uh designator on that but we don't need to talk about that it's just that that's what they were doing and um what happened was uh, taylor and and um Krulak didn't want what they did was they suppressed it they didn't let that go back as they the the contents and conclusions of a SecDef conference are supposed to go to McNamara and Kennedy. Right. Well, they suppress this because it's it's war in, in Vietnam, and at the same time, you know, the first one of these uh, uh, Buddhists gets and sits in the middle of a middle of a street intersection, mm-hmm. douses himself in, in gasoline and lights himself and kills himself. And he's only the first of many, and in Kennedy, he just gets completely upset. Why is this happening? How come we didn't know this? Anyway, it was, it was symptomatic of the whole political bottom falling out in Vietnam. There was no support for the regime. What was going on? Uh, the GM and his brother knew were, were very corrupt and uh, kept both, most, mostly they, they wanted uh, troops and even of American forces there just to, to protect them not to defeat the communists they were just trying to stay in power themselves so it, mm-hmm. was, it was it was just it was a mess and and so Kennedy realized that uh his plan was going to be to pull out after he was reelected uh and that's basically the all, all of the, the tropes wouldn't be pulled out till 65 and he could say things like it's their war they have to win it he did that but then he would say stuff like but you know we have to we have to help them. So he said things that, that misled people into thinking and was used after his death by some books saying that he would have done what LBJ did, but he, there was no way that that was true. He He just didn't come straight with the American people because he was afraid... Uh, as he was on other things, uh, African American civil rights and things like that, he he didn't he they helped him get elected, and he didn't want to do anything until after he was reelected because he thought he would lose the Southern Democratic votes, which was this, the base of the South. So, you have this situation now in '63, where everything's going wrong, and he realizes. Uh, and we we need to talk about this too because he will he will actually go on television and say things He wants to taunt with the Russians and he wants to uh, to really do civil rights and and he wants to pull out of Vietnam.
0: Didn't he have a direct line with Khrushchev at this time? At this point, mm-hmm. didn't he have a, like a phone in his house and in the yeah. and in the Oval office?
1: I think of the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was was where that happened. But um the but the point is that uh, what is he going to do? Right? He realizes that that it's over in Vietnam and he can't wait until another whole year and a half or something to do anything about this uh, because by that time it'll be too late to withdraw. There'll be no public uh, support for it. And so what he decides to do is to accelerate the withdrawal plan. So the new plan is that he's going to uh, pull out 100 advisors by before the end of the year. Okay. And he, he, Draws his line in the sand. He says, "I want, I want real troops. I don't just want, you know, <clears throat> onesies and twosies coming out and being replaced. I want to see, and he, and helicopters too. You know. So he's in. He's he's he wants a real withdrawal to start in 1963. And uh, and then after he gets reelected, then he'll it, all the troops will come out. Now this was kept secret for a while because he he didn't know what his Opponents were going to do to him about it, uh, and and what the American public would do, what the newspapers would do, and all that kind of stuff. So he kept it to himself. But he sent Mac Lamera, and Taylor out together. in in uh, at the end of September, nineteen sixty three, and their job was to do the same thing as back in sixty one. They were supposed to go over there, and and go go visit all the hamlets and stuff, and count their chickens and hens, and and. And and whatnot, and come home and recommend that uh, we begin the withdrawal from Vietnam, mm-hmm. and they did. Now, on the way back home, the the, the stopover in Honolulu, one the, the the number two guy in the State Department, his name was Sullivan. There was a couple of Sullivans that were running around, but he was one of them. Anyway, he said he got a hold of uh, uh, Taylor, and he and he said we can't do this. We can't be, we're not pulling pulling troops out of Vietnam. We got to put more in. If this stays in the report, he says, I'm going to write a, you know, a a, a counter report. And so they said, okay, no problem. We'll take it out. So you don't see it in, in the draft of the, of the, of the report as it stood at Honolulu when they were on their way home. So they come home. It's, um, first couple of days of, Of October and uh, the helicopter lands in the in the in the garden there and and, uh, Taylor and McNamara walk into the White House and into the Oval Office and um, and they sit down uh, with a report and, and the report looks like it was at Honolulu and there's all these press people in there it's a press op and everything and so after the press is out uh, before the conversation starts, McNamara and Taylor get up and say, "Just a minute," and they leave the room. They go into the next room and they put the withdrawal plan in the folder. And they come out, and it's just fucking pandemonium. Excuse my French. Um, for the rest of the day, there's people down in the in the in in the uh, basements that are saying, "This is this is crazy. Why, you know, why are we doing this? This is this can it can't happen." And so uh, it ends up being a a fairly um, rigorous uh, meeting that the Kennedy goes through and and tells people that that the decision has been made, you know, and you can get out of here if you don't like it. But, you know, it's over. There's no argument anymore. This is what we're doing now. This isn't in the newspapers, but this is what happened. And all the people that were in, involved in this have written their stories and the, it's in the books everywhere. What happened that day when they found out that Kennedy was was proposing to start the withdrawal from Vietnam, he didn't want to put it in a national security action memorandum, which is what, what happens, you know, when a new policy is going to be made.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But uh, the, of course, uh, Taylor, was on the wrong side. He, he told all of his, his buddies what was going on. So they it, the buzz got all around. And so it got into the newspapers, you know, that Kennedy was proposing a withdrawal from Vietnam. And so uh, um, McGeorge Bundy, his national security advisor, who was a hawk, but was, I com- contend, loyal to Kennedy. and I can explain why, but but anyway, he says, look, Bush, uh, if it's in the newspapers, we might as well put it in an ANSAM. And they did. So even though the decision was made and d- discussed on the 2nd of October, it wasn't until the 6th or the 7th of October that they actually cut NSAM 263, which was the withdrawal from Vietnam and another part of it, which was a an instruction to the uh, station in, in Vietnam. And it didn't say what it was, but it was uh, a coup against the Diem brothers. That was also in the NSAM Uh, that day and so this is October so Kennedy is is coming into the open but he doesn't what he does is he sends Taylor out no McNamara he sends McNamara out onto the steps of the White House to explain this and Sam and he explains so the reason he does that is to make it look like it's a recommendation of McNamara but Kennedy hasn't decided yet that way if something goes this way or that way he's not He's not on the hook. Okay. And that's the way things are going. But everybody on the inside knows what the hell is going on here. Now, um, so now we have uh, the DM brothers are going to get murdered. Kennedy has, uh, has this. See, you see this picture of his hand over his forehead? Oh, my God. And, and so... Um, Actually, that was another. That, that, he had to do that a couple of times. But, yeah. but in, in, in any event, um, they were at they were at the point where it was going to happen, and so um, after the what what, what the DM assassination really requires is another sex death conference in order to come up with a new policy because there, there's a regime change right in South Vietnam, mm-hmm. right? So. Now the Secretary of Defense has to go talk to everybody, and everybody goes out to Honolulu for this one. And uh, everybody, all the the, the top guys, send their um, their guy who does. Um, uh, they're not reporters. They're they they're they're publicity person. Mm-hmm. Everybody who was anything in the, in the hierarchy of of, of, of the establishment. So there's a lot of press there as well. And um, it turns out that, that what happened that, that day uh, uh, was uh, suppressed except for the, the briefing book. You see, the date that it happened was 20 November 1963. This is 48 hours before the bullets are going to kill Kennedy. 48 hours, but when they're all out there in Honolulu and, and there's McNamara uh, and, and Taylor's doing the briefing, it's, uh, it's a military briefing, and the briefing says, you know what, we've been wrong this whole time about winning the war. Actually, we're losing it. It's the first time that the in- optimistic interlude that began in the beginning of 62 with the OB uh, reporting is now over. It starts back then and it ends two days before the president's murder. They tell the truth at this place. mcGeorge Bundy, uh, the um, the the national security officer he was there too, and uh, i there there was a second hand Sam that was made not two sixty three This is in November now. this is uh, at the at the very end. A new, a new NSAM was created uh, before that conference and, and for it by McGeorge Bundy. And what it said was, we need to intensify the war effort, but we will use South Vietnamese forces to do so. And McGeorge Bundy drafted that up. And that's the reason I believe that he was loyal to Kennedy, because if he thought Kennedy was going to die, he wouldn't have done that. He thought Kennedy would be awake to see that because Kennedy could approve that in that Sam. Well, guess what happened? It got changed the, right after, hours after the assassination. And McGeorge Bundy had to take that and walk around Washington to get input into it. And there were a lot of happy to glads changes, but there was one paragraph which had restricted, the paragraph that restricted new intensification of the war to South Vietnamese forces was um, changed and there were two big lines through it It wasn't a happy to glad there were two slashes in that whole paragraph right so I got a hold of McGeorge Bundy and I said I need to, you know uh, to ask you about you know the, the stuff you did out there he said I don't remember being there in Honolulu and I said, "Oh, sir, you—you you, you know, I'm—I'm I'm sorry to tell you, but you know, your your name's on a lot of the papers and things." And he said, "Look, do me a favor. Would you send them to me?" And I said, "Sure," and I did. And he got hold of me right away. He said, "Oh, yes, you're right. I remember now. A lot of people were very upset psychologically when the president was killed. Okay, especially in the ones in his administration. They were." It was kind of like, you know, being in a new planet somewhere. You know, it just, it wasn't, they weren't ready for this. And I think a lot of them did suppress what, what they heard that day. But anyway, um, McGeorge Bundy was, was, was totally straight with me. He said, that was, yeah, and that was me. That was me walking that that sam around for, for, to see if there were any changes. And I said, okay, well, let's go to page three. Tell, who, who, are those your slash marks? You know, through there, uh, and he said, "Yeah." And I said, "Well, who told you to do that?" And he said, "LBJ. LBJ told me to do that." And the new language in the in the new in the new NSAM two seventy three version two that was published that weekend, while Kennedy's corpse is still laying in state in the in the, in the rotunda, said there was there was no uh, there was no cap on it. There, there, it didn't rule. It didn't say. Uh, Vietnamese forces it it was any forces you could want so if you're if you're a a war planner looking at that paragraph you know everything's on the table now it's a reversal of Kennedy's from the very beginning from Cuba in the beginning all the way to Vietnam no damn combat troops and so that's the the Last chapters here in my book, JFK in Vietnam, mm-hmm. where we write about how this happened. Now, so here's the bad news. Um, I told you about uh, uh, Krulak and, and Upland 34A. What happened during the last six weeks of Kennedy's life it was in SAM 63. Uh, 63. the withdrawal plan from that moment up to the time he was assassinated. General Taylor was actually working against Kennedy to gut the withdrawal plan behind McNamara's back, didn't tell McNamara what he was doing, gutting the withdrawal plan. And at the same time, standing up op plan 34a at the same time also of course behind mcnamara's back and kennedy's back
0: Mm -hmm.
1: now if you you have to ask yourself a serious question there why would he be doing that (laughs) why did he tell the truth only 24 hours before the president's death so what i'm trying to tell you is that's that's that is the pièce de résistance of what I saw him do when he came back to, and gave Kennedy the the thing he didn't want to hear back in '61. You mm-hmm. know, with his combat troops under flood relief task force, all this stuff. He was knew he had to know he had to know what he was doing, and everything was ready. Everything was finally ready now. One thing I didn't mention that I now need to mention that dovetails with what is happening here in this six weeks is something that happened after the Bay of Pigs and actually just around the time that Taylor was brought in to the investigation group of the Bay of Pigs, okay? The There is a subcommittee of the uh, National Security Council called the NES, the National, it's, it's the Net Evaluation Subcommittee of the National Security Council. And it's all military guys and, and including, but one, the, the, the head of the CIA, Alan Dulles. And they do something called a PSYOP. I think I told you at dinner last night, I can say what that is, Strategic in- Integrated Operation for uh, Nuclear Wet Warfare.
0: Not a psychological operation. The yeah. other kind of psyop. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what? So what? It's a plan for nuclear warfare that is briefed to the president every year
1: for the next fiscal year. Kay. It's a prediction. Okay. And the Eisenhower was the first one to get one, and um, and this is when you know he's increasing nuclear weapons to save money, and but he sees they tell him what's going to happen, even though uh, we have a lot of weapons and all that. He was absolutely stunned Eisenhower was president Eisenhower, when he saw how many American casualties and casualties around the world were gonna be. Right. And so he did not want to do that, and he would never have done that. But in any event, that was the first PSYOP. Um and then Kennedy becomes president. And so in in the beginning, or the the end, or not the beginning, the, the middle of the first year, it was in 61. And instead of giving him the PSYOP for '62, they did something different. And of course, the background is what happened at the Bay of Pigs and everything. And Kennedy is is had to go on TV and it, say it was my mistake, and he did. He he took responsibility. He was kind of at his nader because Khrushchev kicked, was kicking his ass in Vienna, uh, you know, saying terrible things about war. And so Vienna, the Vienna conference didn't go good and, and the Bay of Pigs hadn't gone good. This was at kind of a low point for Kennedy. And so they sit down and they brief him on not the 62 PSYOP, but a PSYOP for the fall of 1963. And so what they do is they tell the president that that's a special time that we, we could, and they were, were recommending a Surprise, total nuclear attack against Russia, China, all that stuff. In the fall of 1963, because that was the opportune moment before the the Soviet Union would have to start bringing online ICBMs, and we would have be at our maximum power and a maximum advantage on both sides when you compare the nuclear power. That's what they briefed him on. So he gets up and he, he says, I don't want to hear any of this kind of talk again. And, he, and he's walking through the door on his way. You hear him say, and we call ourselves the human race. That was his reaction to the PSYOP that they were talking about. Uh, there were other PSYOPs along the way, but that was a, here's the importance of that. And, and the, what I'm interested in is knowing who all was there.
0: When did this meeting take place again? July 1961. Okay. The plan was for 63 in the fall.
1: Yeah. The fall of 63 to do this surprise spasmodic, throw everything in the kitchen sink all at once. <laughs> now, the point I want to make here is that idea wasn't dead in the fall of 63 we have what I just told you shows you it was alive and well Mm -hmm. in 1963 right okay NSAM 263 and the first version of 273 were being replaced you know by a, a, a PSYOP now the question is how many people in the CIA knew about this because we've got a whole new Oswald thing unfolding at this time, all through the summer of 63, and in the fall when he ends up out there in in Mexico City, and we have another records,
0: you know... Can we jump to him real quick and explain what was going down with Oswald in 63?
1: Well, uh, Oswald is uh, on his way. He's got... uh, a. you don't actually need a visa to get into Mexico, but you you, you, you get in line and you get, a, you, gets, you get a piece of paper.
0: How long had he been back in the US from Russia?
1: He got off the boat in, in, in the 2nd of June, 1962, when everything was a mess in, okay. in, in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right. Now okay. we are in 1963. He's been there the whole year establishing his uh, Castro legend. It starts in January when he puts a placard around his neck. It says "Viva Fidel." Right. That's when you know it's game on because he's already been a commie in the Soviet Union, and now, you know, he's 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 going to wear the Castro badge as well. Remember Castro and the KGB and right. Oswald. Yep. Okay. So he. Um, what? So the, here we have him now in Mexico City. Now his story when he gets there, and I know and and I have a reason to believe he was there, but he was also impersonated. That's another whole story that people want to talk about and argue about, but it's it's I think it's very simple. Anyway, um what he is doing is he goes his first day to the uh the Cuban consulate and says, I want I need um a visa From you to go to Cuba because I'm going to I want to go through Cuba and go back to Moscow again. I want to I want to go back there. I'm redefect. He he wanted to redefect. He told this is the Cubans that he he wanted to redefect again to the communist side. He wanted to go over to Russia again. Uh huh. Now, and you have to understand that this is about the time of this is not even um, this is October. This is the first week of October. Right. Actually, the day that he went to the Cuban consulate, I think, it was probably technically something like thirty September.
0: And so, um, wasn't? Didn't he meet with like the head of assassinations there?
1: Well, that's that's the rushes, I'm not. I'm I'm getting there. Okay. But he starts with the Cuban consulate. Now what she says to him is, "Look, uh, you, you, where's your 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 Russian visa?" We can't give you a a transit visa for Cuba if you don't have, you know, the Russian one. Mm -hmm. And besides which, you don't even have any pictures with you. So he has to go to a booth and take pictures of himself, and then he goes over to the uh, Russian embassy. And yes, uh, the one of the consular officials, one of the two consular officials, is Valery Kostikov. They're also they're all consular officials. He just so happens to be the KGB head of assassinations in the Western Hemisphere Division. And that was what he was supposed to be doing. They wanted to make sure that he has contact with, with, with Kostikov. Who
0: told him to do this stuff?
1: Who told him to do this stuff in the first place to go over to to Moscow? His handlers. He had handlers who told that you need to to get the story first, and then you can, we can like uh, maybe draw straws as to who and how many people. Very few people are in on this, and this is not Sully. This is not, not Sully. No, this is another, but it's the same thing. They learned about it. They understood what happened. Whoever was behind them. Just let me let me play this out with you. So with, what what happens is uh, he the the Cuban. Excuse me. the 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 Russians, the Soviets, tell him, look, you're an American. We can't give you a visa here. The only place you can get a visa from is your embassy in the United States in Washington. So I'm sorry. So then he goes back to Duran, Sylvia Duran, and the Cuban consul, and says, Yeah, they they're gonna they agreed to give me my my visa. Right. She said, Really? She talks to Kostikov every day because I got said so she picks up the phone calls Kostikov and says I got this guy here says you did and and he's no 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 that didn't happen. He was a, he's a kooky guy, you know. And so she said, "Nah, you're busted. We're not, <laughs> we're not doing that." Okay. And so he's he's out of he's out of bullets for that Friday. So he goes back on Saturday and tries again with the Russians. And all of this is is reality this part of it. So he should he, he really has no business going there because the, the, the embassies and consulates are closed on Saturdays. Well it just turns out that on Saturday mornings the, the Russian consulate guys have a volleyball game. And so they're all there showing up in their shorts and stuff. And here here's and the, the 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 guard says, you know, buzzes them and says there's this guy Oswald out here, wants to talk to you and says well they let him in. And so they they go through it again. And and they he, he he puts his he puts a revolver on the table and says, "Say hey, what the FBI does to me, you know, all the, they won't they won't help me." So he's he's saying he wants to go back to Russia so bad, and he can't get any help, you know, from from Americans. And he you know what oh what was me what can I do? So they said, "Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send a message." to um, Washington that you need to fill out to request a visa. And then they can send it to you here from Washington. How about that? He just pushes the paperwork away and walks out. That is the end of reality. Now becomes Hollywood, net, Hollywood uh, what I want to say, fun and games. Phone calls start to be made. And uh, it's somebody calls up and and, and and starts saying asking for documentation and says, How has, has the reply come back yet from Washington for me? Now the problem with that is there was nothing sent to Washington in the first place. Oswald didn't fill that out and didn't care. Right. So you have to you have to understand how that's possible. And so uh, there's a lot of people who, who just swear that that there there was a an imposter there, not Oswald,
0: calling and asking about it.
1: Yeah, just basically, the, Oswald didn't go there. There was an imposter that went went down there.
0: Oh, oh, okay. So now mm-hmm. I, I
1: have something better because I had when I wrote one of the, whatever book we're talking about here. Um, I all the the CIA was able to actually interview the Russians and the, 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 the Cubans that were there. They agreed to go uh, to do a deposition of everything they remembered that happened in their consulate if it was uh, Cuba, the embassy if it was Russian. And the fact of the matter is that it was obvious whoever was on the phone, there was more phone calls that were made. There was three of them. But at every point, it didn't, it didn't jibe with what we know happened inside the consulate and the embassy. So that gave me the, the clue, that, and, and actually the answer. Oswald failed in his job to get the visas. He wasn't really gonna go anywhere, but the, the CIA had a lot of Cubana airline pilots that were on the take that, that as, as long as he got the visa, they could say he would, had been in Cuba. And there was already stuff in the mail coming from a, from a guy in Cuba saying, Hi, Lee, it was great seeing you here and all that. So all this stuff was in motion, right? And of course, he never got the visa, so he was in trouble. They sent him there to tie himself to Castro and again to remind everybody that he was KGB too, right? That's what he did. Now, I have to tell you, here we have... We're, we're, we're just weeks away from the motorcade. And the first thing that the FBI has to do for a motorcade is to know everybody who works on that, on that trip. Um, not a trip. A route. On route. On the route, exactly. And every, anybody who is even questionable is removed physically from that route or, or the route is changed. And so uh, that's why Oswald... Wasn't taken off the parade route. Everything was suppressed. Everything he did down there was put in a different place until after the shots were were, were fired. Everything
0: that he did in Mexico, meeting at the consulate and the embassy, all, all those documents, the whole
1: year, the whole shebang of of play, you know that, that what he did uh, in in Dallas in in, in New Orleans and. Uh, again, then, in New Orleans, then back in Dallas again, none of that stuff made it into his two oh one file.
0: Why? because he would have been moved from the parade route. who made it so that those files were not available to anybody? Good question
1: good question. We know where they were filed i I think I brought i don't know i i have i have these 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 cover sheets where, where it shows that who read. The, this file or that file, and it's, it's very clear that they uh, they were not, play- he already had a 201 file. It was opened in, in uh, 1962, too late for, for a lot of reasons, but that's not the point here. His 201 file had been opened um, uh, for a long time, right. and all the stuff he did in 1963 didn't go into it. It was hidden in another place. Like, it's just like Sully having all the documents coming from all the other government agents being hidden at his his desk. So nobody could could know what happened except for him. Mm. So the same thing was going on. Only this time, the documents were sent to a place called the SAS. Uh, and it's basically, that's that's the uh, Cuban Affairs staff. It's a huge staff now because of the Cuban problem. And there's a guy by the name of Des- Desmond Fitzgerald who has to know. He's the head of SAS and probably his deputy, but nobody else really knows that all these these Hoover letterhead memorandums about everything Oswald was doing in New Orleans and stuff uh, were, were not put, put into a one file. So then you have a, a situation while he's down there, while Oswald is down there in Mexico City, Winscott, who is the head of the CIA station, has to ask a question because they don't know who he is. So they send a cable to headquarters. Who is a guy named, using the name, Lee Harvey. Oswald walking all around here. Who who is he? What what do you know about him? Now, the guy who was in charge of the Mexico City desk, his name was John uh, Witten. And the only thing they gave him to answer when Scott was down there in Mexico City was the 201 file. They said, oh, well, hell, the latest information we have is May 62. Oswald was still in the Soviet Union then. All his entire life had been expunged for the purposes of the communication going between headquarters and Mexico City. So um, the lights didn't blink red in the CIA. Now over at the FBI at the same time, somebody took Oswald off the espionage list, it start which started when he went to Moscow back in 1959. Right. Nobody could put anything in the Oswald file or read anything in the Oswald file without getting permission from the espionage section of the FBI the whole time. Until while all the, the lights are turned off in the CIA, the same thing happens in the FBI. He's taken off the espionage list. So he's not on there for the, the, the cruise that's supposed to remove people on the,
0: on the route of the motorcade. Who, who could have done something like that?
1: Uh, somebody who is very powerful, who is basically saying, you're going to do this. Now,
0: how powerful?
1: Well, you have to have somebody pretty high in the CIA to do it.
0: This is a CIA. It Has to, to be CIA. To,
1: well, the 201 file part, not the FBI part. Right. I there's a lot of people that I that I I could guess at, but it's not important right now. I, I'm I'm working on this, and this is why I don't uh, I don't write my book yet uh, because I have plenty of time, but I'm 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 very close to answering these exact questions now. Uh, and it's and it's not just the CIA. It's the military who are in are actually taking Kennedy's plan and shit canning it and replacing it with an invasion plan. You have to understand that's going on at the same time as this files yes, caper. Right, okay. Right. So right. there's military people involved. There's gotta be somebody in the CIA who is a fireman. So what they're doing is uh cr- they've created a the the true, the true Story of everything Oswald did is going to blow up like a a virus that's going to balloon big time as soon as the the shots ring out.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, for me, rather than try and identify every single human being, I want to know the nexus of the people in charge of this operation, and then we can work it down from there. Without telling, without understanding who's running the show. It's pretty difficult to say. Okay, well, it has to be this guy or this guy. Um, clearly, John Witten at the Mexico desk that th- that that element was not involved.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, they did they did, they hadn't seen it. Now we have we have the records now. By the way, those same sheets, routing and record sheets. When you when you sign another government agency document in the CIA. It comes in with the document, but you have a routing sheet on the front and everybody who reads it has to sign, put their initials and the date that they saw it. And so down at the bottom, it shows the file where it was filed. And should all, everything should have been filed in this 201, but it isn't, it's 100-300-11, that's the FPCC mm. file over in SAS. And then later there's a line through it, at that was put through it after the Kennedy assassinated, line through it and put his 201 number in there. You you see the two numbers on all these. Now this house select committee asked for those routing and record sheets. They wanted to see them. And you know what happened? The the CIA said, no, you can't have them. And this is our, our, our elected officials. So it was in 2017, 2018, and I even had another chance, there was something, another few boxes that my, my friend, Jay Harvey, and I found uh, some years before that, when there was five brown boxes of stuff that was put put up before the big release in 2017, 2018. It was during the ARRB. There was a small five boxes of stuff. And there were some of those routing sheets there with a lot of blackouts. But anyway, I got a hold of them later on and it was just dev- it's devastating stuff. Um, So what you have here is stuff going on involving, again, like I say, you've got a military, uh, I think, a military coup. And they have their things that they have to do. But then you have, before the assassination itself happening, what you have to do is have a plan for the cover-up. And that can't be made. You can't decide what your cover is going to be after the after the shooting. It doesn't right. work that way. Right. It requires careful coordination and control of who knows it. So we're talking about military and civilian, CIA, some people. So where am I starting my investigation for this? I want to go back to where the idea started. The idea started in July 1961, where the perfect time to do this big attack would be the fall of nineteen sixty-three. And Kennedy had said no over and over and over again. So who was there? Who was there? And I got the list of names of the people that were sitting there. And the name that popped out right away is a guy who just became came on board for Kennedy. His name was Maxwell Taylor. He sat there and watched. And he was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. In the fall of 1963, putting in the plan that Kennedy didn't want and the one that the the the, the chiefs had wanted back in 1961. Um, I want to not go too much farther in some of these things. You were right about one thing. There's a few things I'm still working on that I don't actually want to put on the table, but that's where I'm going. I'm looking very carefully at who could have been in both places or. Could have had access to somebody in the CIA or the military who was then in, involved or in a position to to do these types of things and hide things.
0: There was another defector who said that there was former U.S. presidents that were aware of the plan <laughs> yeah. to, to assassinate Kennedy.
1: <laughs> this is the this is the the story about the true Oswald story in Minsk. Um, so. We had a lot of investigations, the Warren Commission and then the Senate and then the House of Representatives. That was all over by the 70s. But defections were still going on. And a KGB defector came over to the CIA in 1981. Mm. Okay, his name was Sergei Papushin. Uh, it took me a while to figure out that out. Uh, it was the CIA tried to make it hard because they were told not to reveal the guy's name, but you know, I have my ways of figuring things out, and a newspaper article and a few other things allowed me to put it together.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, he told us the story. Uh, if, if in first, the first, actually, there was a story about him. From another guy, Jurelif was his name, I guess, and uh, he he said that uh, there were two conspirators with with Oswald, two American presidents that can cons- that had conspired with Oswald to kill uh, President Kennedy. Now the problem with that was that um, you know no, the previous presidents. Uh, there was only Truman and Eisenhower because Kennedy was dead <laughs> and everybody else before him was dead. So whoever two presidents was, those were the only two presidents it right. could be. Right, And uh, that's crazy. And so, uh, and it was almost just throw it in the trash can, except for there was another couple of lines in this thing that mentioned, but there was a guy who defected who was bona fide and his name was Sergei Papusin. So then this crazy memo of this guy, he walked in. We think maybe in Canada, to say to to get a CIA guy to tell this story to. Um, there was another. There was a throwaway sentence at the bottom, and the and the and the uh, the ARB got it and looked at it, and it was a little guy who really was nondescript. I I, I don't even remember his name. He wasn't, but he wasn't in the hierarchy of it, and so it went all the way up to the top, and then they asked the CIA about it. Well, the CIA actually. And you have to understand by this point, it's 1998. Okay, that's when the ARB is. It's the last weeks, 1998, when this, when, when they put the story together, they figure out his, they get a CIA, um, cryptonym, uh, IJ Decanter, and they get the FBI, FBI pseudonym, Flash Run, and I, I get all this stuff, on those things, and they're the same guy. I can t- I can see that. And so you can put this this guy's personality together, and 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 there there's there's the ball game. Um, he there were a lot of ep- episodes in his history before he he died allegedly uh, suicide by one fifth of uh, liquor, you know, and under his bed, he he dies after. Doing that and that's not that's not very convincing.
0: And it was right after his handlers came to visit him, right?
1: Yep, that's right. Um, but in in any event, they the CIA forked over all this stuff. Asked asked for the the review the review board to uh, not to mention the name and not to do this or that. But they 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 sent the whole the whole big st- bunch of stuff that I used. Um, interviews tapes that you could hear talking all this stuff they sent so we have plenty of plenty of stuff to work with even the stuff that w- that was released and and the uh, the newspaper article was very helpful because it, it had the story somebody had the story but not the name and I put the the story together with the other stuff I had and it was easy to, mm. to figure out his whole history so but anyway what he also told us led to you um, the, the Oswald story in Minsk, because this guy uh, had personal contact and knew those those he he had visited uh, the KGB school there later, and and some of those teachers were still around, and they told him what they they had talked to Oswald and everything. So this came out. He, he's his defection was eighty one, but it is it wasn't until much much later that all these pieces came together just before they uh, the ARRB closed shop mm. so there were there were a lot of FBI files that that were not collated with the CIA files and so on so it took a number of years for all this to happen but it was easy it was just so easy because I had all the information and that and and you can look at the chapter yourself you decide whether you you like it or not and if you don't like it that's well that's your that's your prerogative right but it is, it is one of these things that has multiple indet- independent attestation and there's nothing he can do about it. The FBI files, the CIA files, everything fits together. This guy was for real. He was bona fide. And, but eventually uh, something happened. They didn't like something he was doing. And it's... it's we have precious time now we don't have to worry about that but that's how i put that chapter together okay and how it was the last act of the arb that was sitting wide in the open all this time and i finally decided to use it i hadn't used it in any of my books and then mm-hmm. i decided because we were talking about you know oswald over in 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 russia i thought well it's time to put that in the book right so chapter three is you know oswald and minsk now the interesting thing is the guy who's written the most about this his name is Titovitz, the people read his book, he was there, he knew Oswald, he was a friend of Oswald's. He didn't say anything about any of this. We're not really sure why, that that he wouldn't know any.
0: Is this the guy who was a roommate with him?
1: No, he wasn't a roommate, but he was a friend.
0: Okay. And what was the significance of the two letters that he wrote back to CIA when he was trying to get back? Was one that apparently never got there.
1: Yeah. So it's important for a couple of reasons. What it does, what happened with the two letters actually allows us to see that there was a CIA penetration that was trying to be covered up. And it looks like the House Select Committee actually cooperated. So Oswald wrote a letter in 1960, um, at the time that his 201 file was being opened by the way, anyway, he, and that's what triggered the two hundred one opening was that he had asked to, he'd asked the, he didn't ask to come home. He asked, the letter asked uh, the American consulate to give him his passport back so right. that he could right. go back to the United States, mm-hmm. and uh, now the what what happens is uh, then there's another letter in January that says. Uh, Hello, this is Oswald again. Uh, you didn't answer my first letter that I sent, asking to go back, whatever. So he actually—that's the first line in in his second letter—is you know I sent you the first letter, and so when the House Select Committee gets this, uh, they go along with the CIA to say there was never no, no first letter, and they they say everything that's in the second letter, but they leave the first line out, where Oswald says my first letter the HSCA doesn't include that sentence. So that tells me that uh, somebody asked them to help protect a a sensitive source, which would be how in the hell uh, that what happened to that letter, that first letter. Right. And it was pinched by the KGB. And the problem is that later on, they didn't want Anybody to know because that's when the 201 file was opened, and there's another guy be other people behind that But anyway, um, I was able to put that story together and without knowing but was was just something I found late enough to get it into I believe the uh, Oswald and CIA book which was 1995 and if not, then in, a, in another one of my books, I think, I think by then I'd already figured it out, because this is ninety-five. Okay, so um, you know, the the CIA, uh, excuse me, the KGB falls apart in in uh, by ninety-one. It's all over. Not just the KGB, but the whole Soviet Union is gone. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there was a a, peri- a honeymoon period, where both sides were talking to each other. Uh, we, we gave them a lot of money to, to get rid of, uh, you know, uh, weapons of, uh, you know, toxins and things and, and, and uh, suitcase nukes and things like that. There was a lot of cooperation trying to get our arms around all the things that could, could be sold on the black market and things like that. But also for the, the, uh, the media, had a field day. They sending people over there and interviewing people. It was all okay. For a while. (laughs) Later on, Putin took care of everything. But anyway, the the point is that um, ABC News got in there, and it was Ted Koppel uh, at at 11 o'clock p.m. I remember watching those shows back then. Uh, Anyway, they they were given access uh, to the Oswald files, and the letter was in there. There it was. Just as big as day. The letter was there. And so there was no doubting about that first letter. Oswald. And, and so here's the other thing it told us, though, because his diary didn't have it. And there's no way he wouldn't have put it in his diary. So the, the, there there are a lot of things wrong with that diary that we think and that diary was made after his death. We think uh, he they the had a version. Fabricated. They had a version, but they made another version because there were other things they wanted to cover up some of the sources they may have had sensitive sources who knows what it would was behind it but anyway yeah, I told that story about the two letters right and the first letter was sent at the time of the 201 opening uh, in 1960 and they didn't want to know anybody to know about that and so they used the state department for some help and and so on anyway it's, it's there's a lot more details to it but it's it's a, it's a fun story to tell because we know Somebody actually found the letter, the first letter that.
0: What did uh, the first letter say? Was there anything? What was yeah, I would
1: like to to uh, come back to to uh, to Moscow and get my passport from you.
0: Oh, okay. Because I,
1: you know, I'm planning to, and I, you know, I need help. I and I need money. <laughs> he asked for money too, right? To, to take his family mm. back to the United States. Anyway, it took a couple of years, not two years, but like a man, a long time, twenty months before he actually got on the boat with his wife.
0: Hmm. You, we were talking last night. You said there was basically three main reasons that we're so far behind. We're so far, far behind in analyzing everything that happened during the Cold War and yeah. everything that you're finding with Kennedy. And one of the one of the big points was about Martin, Martin Luther King.
1: It, it is 2023 now, and and still, I'm writing books like this that have these big stories. And I get to the King story in, in a second, but that's just one of them. And, and And all of this stuff was available back in 2017 and some of it even before then. But certainly by 2017, 2018, um, there are six million pieces of paper. Now, there are so many people who call themselves researchers who don't do research, but they do read other people's books. Now, it doesn't take very much research before we have a book that is going around the table from one guy to the next guy, to the next guy, to the next guy, and it, and it, it never goes any place else. So we never make very much progress if, if the vast majority of people who are getting into the Kennedy uh, assassination are, are just reading other people's books and, and regurgitating the same stuff. So um, these are examples uh, that, like for example, this, this Oswald story we just told about in Minsk, that was there the whole time. Uh, the MLK story is is a big one. Um, and I broke that story in Memphis uh, this year, uh, on the 55th anniversary of, of his assassination down there. Um, and uh, we had a, a meeting down there. We got put in a basement we Got. they took away a good, a good room f- from us and gave us another one because there was, I guess there was, I don't know why it happened anyway. It was very hot there, but anyway, I, I get, gave that presentation and it was brand new uh, and, and, I, and I mentioned some things that had never been mentioned before. The only thing I didn't give up was the name of the, um, the name of the, of the person that was, working with the CIA um, for the CIA is a mole in Martin Luther King's inner circle. And I didn't mention the name of his case officer in the CIA. Originally, it had gone back all the way to, basically, uh, in the 1930s, even before World War II, um, initially, There were a lot of communist parties in the West that were basically communist parties only because they were anti-fascists. So the communists were part of that; they were against fascism. And um, before before World War along along the run up to the World War II, there was a pact that Stalin and Hitler made together—the Nazi-Soviet Pact. And this allowed uh, the Russians to go off to do their thing in the Far East with uh, the nationalists and the versus the communists over there and gave um, um, Hitler plenty of room to go take Europe. But the moment that that thing was public, the people were, the, the communist parties in the West were running for, for cover. They all got, they all left the communist parties because uh, of of the Nazi-Soviet Pact because of Hitler, and so there was this one guy who was an opportunist. He was a high school dropout, um, and he had joined the Communist Party too. And he was uh, he liked money, and he liked to get his hands on it. Uh, anyway, he ended up uh, being. Um, High up in the uh, the whole monetary structure of the Communist Party and uh, the American Communist Party, and also, in spe- specifically, he he was he was head of the Chicago uh, funding of the Communist Party up there. So when the Nazi-Soviet Pact uh, occurred, um, he takes off. Um, he steals all the money uh, that for the Chicago section of the ACP Mm -hmm. American Communist Party and takes off to Mexico with it. Now the CIA doesn't exist back then. It's, it's, it's all FBI and the FBI has a place down there and the FBI catches him with all this stolen money. And so, uh, he's basically the short story here is he's he's given a choice jail or you spy for us in civil liberties groups or or civilian uh, civil rights. And so, um, very soon after that, you you end up with with World War II, and there's a lot of things going on where the CIA eventually becomes the CIA. But there's even you know there's stuff going on during World War II, uh, Wild Bill Donovan and and all the these groups that are are, are sent in uh, to to the war, uh, British and Americans, uh, not not just American. So. Um, Where we end up is that uh, this guy that I'm talking about now uh, ends up uh, working for the FBI in uh, Washington, okay? And uh, he's had, uh, by this time, he's, he's looking for people that are in King's inner circle. One guy's named Stanley Levison. And Stanley Levison had been a communist who was no longer a communist and he joined Martin Luther King shortly after the bus boycott began and he was a very capable lawyer, a very big help to to King. And then there was another guy who helped him. His name's Harry Belafonte and he brought not just money but a lot of prestige to it and he was another guy who um, helped King out a lot. Now this mole ended up uh, wiggling his way into both of their lives. And uh, he made a, a company with Levison, and uh, he kept all the money. And then there, there ended up being a, a fight between them. And uh, Levison got his money back from this guy, this con artist, uh, but under the condition that he never talk about it to anybody, that they made the deal. So pretty soon, Levison's wife, ex wife, Ends up marrying the con artist. She's a uh, wow. high, She is a, a a psychotherapy. Um, she, that's what she does. She has the degrees and everything. She's for like you know she does mind stuff. Yeah. And so um, he has some some needs for some help with that, and so he, he picks her. They. They find a way to get him during one of his presentations and, you know, cause he's, he's a very famous entertainer. And so he, they show up at some events and pretty soon he worms his way in and, uh, and then she becomes his psychotherapist. Harry Belafonte does. Now uh, it's usually at the end of the day and then there's drinks afterwards and all this kind of stuff. And then he, I don't really know whether he was under hypnosis, and if he was, he can't remember, but he, what he does remember is that they were pumping him for names and, and stuff on, on uh, African-American civil rights people, lots of them. And it really bugged the hell out of him. And so he eventually decided, he told his, one of his lawyers, because what had happened was uh, he wanted some money. He had made a lot of money, he wanted just, there was a black effort is somewhere in, in Harlem, he wanted some money back to use for that and 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 the and the con guy said no 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 it's 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 invested in in uh, soybeans and stuff and you know it's making a good profit no you you can't do that so um he told his his lawyer he wanted to uh to to confront uh, he he wanted to, to confront this guy, and his lawyer said, "No, don't do that. Let me in, do an investigation." Now, this guy was was you don't argue with this guy. He was a longshoreman lawyer for the longshoremen, mm. and those guys are are uh, not to be crossed. And he came back with a real story. The whole story I just told you is it came from this guy. His name is Katz. And uh, they they'd given him a nose job and everything to to, uh, to change his, his and, he, and he, he, he this guy's his uh, his his heritage was Russian Romanian, and so they turned him into an Irish Catholic. <laughs> wow. it's a high school dropout. And so, yeah, he's 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 involved. And so, but so when he comes back, he tells he tells. Harry Belafonte the story Harry Belafonte is okay. That's is. He said, "Let me handle this." So Katz shows up in the office. The secretary's there, and he says, "Hello, Mr. X." And he he tells his his real name, and that name hasn't been used in years. Mm. And uh oh, he tells the secretary to leave the room, and then Katz tells him what's going to happen. He's going to get all the money back, or else. So they 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 do this, and and but. The the con artist manages to get the same deal that Levison had. Can't tell anybody about it. They got all his money back and then some. So here you have and they become Levison and, and Belafonte become some of the most important people in King's thing after, during and, and after the the uh, bus boycott, which lasted a whole almost two years. Wow. So um We've fast forward here now to a time which is very important, actually, for students of the Kennedy assassination, who know that uh, John Kennedy, as I said, did w- didn't want to pull out of Vietnam until after he was elected, and so he did, he hadn't done very much. But then he did. He faced the music in the summer of 1963 because the bottom was falling out. And he needed to do it before it, he needed to cast it in concrete before the whole possibility would would be be gone. He did the same thing on two other things. On the tenth of June, he went to universe uh, he went to American University in in Washington and delivered the commencement address. And he made this one of the most famous speeches ever.
0: About Is this de- the speech about secret societies?
1: No, about okay. detente. Okay. He told Khrushchev that he wanted they he wanted to mend fences completely. Okay. Would open up the space program for those guys to and all this stuff. Can you know how the generals felt about that? Um so it was yeah it was all about détente and and stopping this 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 war this this cold war and everything and he said you know if we, if we have to fight we're prepared but we don't want to do that uh and he, he it was such a great speech mm-hmm. and people were kind of freaked out they didn't the students didn't know what to think about it because nobody had a had had a speech beforehand but it's it it was televised and you can watch it it was on ten June. Can you pull it
0: up? Nineteen
1: sixty three.
0: Nineteen sixty three. What's the name of the speech? The detente?
1: Well, that's what it was about. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's it's the uh, American University commencement speech. But then the n- very next night on television, on live television, he, he it's a long speech he gives on civil rights. And it's a it's a real wing dinger. I mean, he goes back and he says nothing has happened since Lincoln. You know, and so he's he's confessing his own. You know, he's he's getting the courage of his convictions. These are things he was going to do after he was elected: civil rights bill, and and a detente. Why does he do it? Then he he has to get do the Vietnam thing. because he's got to get it in concrete before it's too late. Right. And he thinks he's gonna he knows he's that they're gonna assassinate him somewhere. You've had a Chicago plot, you've had a Miami. There was plot.
0: a lot in Tampa, right? Oh, right here. Yeah. So So how yeah, explain that real quick. So
1: what I what I'm what I'm telling you is Kennedy is a they were always afraid. That's why they didn't clean house when they got in, they were afraid of the military. And so um my last book when I get to it. When I eventually do what I've been asked to do by so many people, which is go ahead and just finish the damn thing,
0: you know, just get it give over us with. the answer, would you? Yeah,
1: exactly. Well, it's going to have a title. I like this first one. "Where Tra- Angels Tread Lightly." That was like from a, a poet, um, a little bit different, but that mm. was uh, some uh, June Cobb, who was a CIA infiltrator in in, in, uh, in Cuba, lucky to get out alive. She used that. That, uh, so I, I thought it was it was cool, um, and the rest of these things, "Count on the Darks, "Into the Storm," they're more tell you a little bit more about what's going on. But the, mm-hmm. the title for my last book is going to be um, "The Watchman Waketh in Vain." Now, and the reason for that is because on the day Kennedy was assassinated. He was going to give a big speech at the at the trademark. And the trademark was basically a couple hundred yards past the the overpass. They were almost there.
0: Mm.
1: Okay. And his opening to that speech was from the Old Testament, Psalm 127. Lest the Lord keepeth the city, the watchman waketh in vain. Why would President Kennedy say that?
0: What does that even mean?
1: Okay. Lest the Lord keepeth the city. Lest God is protecting the city. Yeah. The watchman can go up there all he wants, but it's not going to do any good. The city is, is going to go. There is no use of, of watching or doing anything if you don't have God's protection. It's a prediction of his death like the, the things that he did that summer, the things that he did with, with, with the, the withdrawal plan, the things that he did for civil rights, the things that he did for Dayton. He wanted to get it out there before he died. Hmm. So they, so all the things that, the good things that he did, and a lot of them were, uh, would go down in history and, uh, and, and would, they would know that that's what he wanted to do. How did That's Psalm 127. You can look it up. You can read it. And you can also find out that what I'm saying is true. I probably have cite- put a citation. I put that in the, at the end of, into the storm, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's at the very, very end. Because I thought it was such a weird thing for him to do. And then it finally, he it got to me. I figured that out, what it was. And he was. Before, he was assassinated right before he got a chance to read that psalm and so the watchman did watch in vain for john kennedy so that's going to be the title of wow.
0: volume 7 what was the speech what did you make of the speech that he gave on secret societies when is this can you can you can you search this one real quick it's 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 pretty easy to find just type in a kennedy speech on secret societies
1: for far greater public information
0: okay let it roll for a second,
1: second to the need for far greater official secrecy here we go. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. Yeah. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically okay. uh, you can stop. opposed to secret societies. Yeah, but that's all well, he's saying is, is that the, since the rise of the national security state, we have all this secrecy. Nobody knows what's going on anymore. We are not a secret society. We're not supposed to be, but that's what we're turning into. Right. That's what he's saying. Right. It's real simple. It's not like, you know, this but
0: that's is, what we are now. It's literally, what, it's what we've become.
1: Yeah, but it's it's not like these. Uh, come, the, you need these, to come closer. Guys. It's not that, like
0: these guys that
1: are like you know doing seances and and all that kind of stuff at all. This is just uh, what happened to us. Mm. Once you know, we, we had to keep all these secrets. Right. And and it's and the and the press has a hard time because they don't know who to trust. Right.
0: Right. So that's why you say you got a difficult job. Hmm. We have all these secrets all the time. It's crazy, though, that that's where, where we've come to today. He was. Oh, my gosh, the, it's even worse like, today than it was back the, then. You yeah. made the great point that we wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for Kennedy when mm-hmm. it comes to the nuclear arms race and us wanting to bomb everybody off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to this stuff, it's clearly gone off the rails. To, you know, where we are today compared to back then and where we're going to, where are we headed? Cause A
1: democratic society is based upon free free access to everything our leaders are doing. That's mm-hmm. the way, that was the, the what the our founding fathers expected it to be. Mm-hmm. And they would turn in their graves if
0: they could find out what happened, you know, to... to- How do you think, what's your opinion on... How did this get so out of control with the media being so corrupted by government?
1: Well, that's another part of the same story. Uh, it, first of all, it's just the problem of secrecy itself. Right. And, you know, there's a famous quote, you know, who will guard the guardians? And, and and the answer in the CIA is the, the Office of Security because nobody can investigate them, <laughs> you know? And so when, when, you know, secrets... Um, are above any anybody else then then you you don't have a democracy that's that's for sure and that's that's the problem and so um if you actually decide that uh, you want to manipulate public opinion it's easy to do all you got to do is put a few of your stringers inside of the uh you know the media mm-hmm. so it's easy and right. and 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 there's actually a long um uh String of of books and and things that are done on this whole practice of actually using plants, CIA plants inside
0: media, the media, right, yeah. right, and it, it's what are the names of those books? Do you know off the top of your head the oh, names of any of those books? No. Okay,
1: but uh, I mean it's 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 there there are many uh, books on on that, and what you want to do isn't so much books as you just need to go on to. Um, you know, Google and start googling.
0: That's another thing. Google Google is completely compromised.
1: I, it is, but you can still find uh, all these, you know, allegations of what, what what's going on. Mm. Uh, there's lots of articles, lots of, you know, um, books, and not just books, but what do you call them? things that the uh, pamphlets and things like that, that in and, and, and other, uh, maybe they're not even articles, maybe they're podcasts or maybe they're, you know, speeches and things that talk about this all the time.
0: What do you think about, do you, ever, do you ever have this conversation with Oliver Stone? Because I know he's had to deal with a lot of backlash. I know he's had to deal with censorship. He's had to deal with defamatory people trying to smear him and discredit him saying that he's anti-American, conspiracy theorist. Have you ever had that conversation with him?
1: No, no. I actually, when he he wants something um, where somebody who's been out of the field has experience, he'll call on me and ask me for some help. But uh, we don't we don't correspond a lot. He's he's uh, he's got he's gone down another path, and he's not really doing a whole lot on the Cold War anymore. Although there are some some things he's done. Recently, I've seen one or two things on television about it, but um, no, I don't. I don't have. A, basically, um, I get asked for information,
0: right? And I and I. What was your role on that that latest film, JFK Revisited?
1: Oh, um, there were two different versions of it. Uh, I was used. Uh, actually, I was interviewed twice. They they came to Washington, and did their interviews for it. And then after they went back to California, he flew me out there to 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 do some more some more takes on it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, um, I mean, that's. And I told him what I what I knew. Is there any particular question you have on on what we talked about? It's it was it, it was New Orleans. All these things we've talked about right. today. All these all mm-hmm. these things and. And this is something that, that still uh, Stone likes to talk about. It's it's big, uh, big big Jim Garrison. Was uh, very nostalgic about that still to this day. And uh, he didn't. He, it helped his his film and my book helped open the door, but he never walked through it for years and years. I sent him a lot of my books, and he wasn't interested in that. He was JFK'd out.
0: Who was Stone? Stone.
1: Yeah, he had other movies he wanted to make and, and do other things. And and he did, and he's, he's a, uh, he wanted to show that he's not a you know, <laughs> uh, he has breadth, and he does, mm-hmm. and but he'll tell you a lot of things about Russia that he he likes. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he
0: did those Putin interviews where he interviewed Putin.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, some of that doesn't look so good right right now with the Ukraine. But
0: well, John, thank you. So much for your, your time and explaining all this to me is very, very enlightening.
1: Well, I appreciate the opportunity to come here, to come out of my closet and, uh, and, and talk publicly.
0: It's an honor to have you. Um, tell people that are listening or watching where they can find your books. Do you have a website? How can people get in touch with you? Sure.
1: JMN, JF Actually, it's the other way around. JFK JMN. That's John Fitzgerald Kennedy, John Michael Newman, dot com jfkjmn.com
0: And all your books are on Amazon as well?
1: Oh, yes. All the books are on Amazon.
0: Cool. I'll make sure I link all that below. Thanks again, John.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.